But what happens if you do get exposed to a great deal of fallout? Food or water has been contaminated by the dust, internal damage may occur. When dust has been left on skin, there will be skin burns. When you have been near dust too long, there may be radiation sickness. Exposure can even cause death. If you have had considerable exposure, you will vomit and grow weak. But after a few hours, this sensation will pass. And by the next day, you may have had the last of it. Even if you have been exposed to excessive fallout, you may eat and drink just as you normally would. But don't force yourself. Whether you have had these symptoms or not, if civil defense radio announcements have said that radiation has been high in your section, keep an eye on your condition for the next few days. Watch especially for these developments in the two weeks following exposure. Return of nausea, sore throat, bruise spots developing without any known reason, loss of hair. These conditions, or nosebleed, or diarrhea, should be reported to a doctor or to the nearest first aid station set up under civil defense plans. Unless civil defense teams have warned that your area is still dangerously radioactive, you can get out and work to help yourself and help others. And don't be discouraged. anymore, Sarah. Why, hello, it is three minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of five in this, the month of March in the year of our Lord 2009. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed and highly radioactive studios of Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us today. It is Wednesday and welcome to day 12. Like we did this whole thing just nine minutes ago. Probably hallucinating though. I wouldn't pay it, no, never mind. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. We are uh, here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for joining us today. It's 503-733-2970 if you'd like to be part of our program. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970 if you would like to weigh in with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, musings, whatever it is you might have on this fine morning. It's 503-733-2970. And you're right, even that guy's voice gives you the creeps. It has that it's weird, so 1950s. It, it has that that strange angular tinny delivery, where every word is accented like this, as he's describing your hair falling out and your uncontrollable diarrhea. Trust your government or become a communist. <laughs> Believe no one. The red menace is omnipresent. The best part about that video, by the way, that comes from a that comes from a film called. Jesus, it's not C is for comedy, it's A is for Adam. Hey, sir, can you drop the uh, Dream Theater bed just a, just a hair there? Thank you. It's from this series of classroom films called A is for Adam, and it's all about... It's that strange dichotomy of 50s thinking where the Adam is simultaneously your best friend when it's on the part of America and God, 
and your worst enemy when it's, you know, when it's in the control of the Reds. It's like losing your hair for democracy. (laughs) Exactly. It's sort of like a victory garden, but it's just a victory bald spot. What is this? It's victory nausea. All right. I'm far, I have to go make some victory diarrhea now. I'll be back. Everybody, everybody oh, just stay there. Not me personally. And when you're done, worship in the church of your choice. <laughs> Do not be a godless communist. Lead a life of religious fulfillment when not vomiting uncontrollably. Anywho, the best part of that film, though, in the, the A is for Adam movie, is the guy, the, it's a crudely sort of animated, um, it's an animated short telling you exactly what to do if there's radioactive fallout and sort of how to deal with it and they show the guy when it says and your hair may fall out they show him looking in the mirror and all of his hair goes plunk and it all just falls into the floor and rather than being panicked and saying holy f what the hell is going on with my head he waves a flag (laughs) and there's there's just a little sort of whimsical question mark that appears above his head and then he kind of shrugs and goes goes about his day and then later on when the when the uncontrollable nausea and diarrhea set in, same thing. Little question marks wringing his stomach, but then back to work, raising money and iron for victory. Has a good belly laugh. Exactly. All right. It is uh, the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970 if you would like to join us today. It is Wednesday, and welcome to Day 12. 503-733-2970 is our phone number. You can also email if you'd like. It's rick at... RickEmerson.com. Rick at RickEmerson.com. Sarah with an H at 970.am. Damn it. Damn it. I wonder how long it's going to take me to not do that anymore. That's only the third time, but I would say that's three times too many. Well, that was only the third station we were on, so it's fresh in your memory. I suppose. All right. Uh, it is uh, Sarah with an H at KUFO.com. Tim at KUFO.com. Richie with a T at KUFO.com. Or Rick at RickEmerson.com. Here's what's coming up in today's radio broadcast. CNN Radio correspondent James Roop will be joining us uh, today from Los Angeles, where he gets to talk about Phil Spector again on an ongoing basis in a case that never seems to actually end. Uh, we may or may not be talking to Steve Kastenbaum, will we? Is he in Fargo? Lucky him. Well, 90 mile an hour winds in Perkins County out there. Are they have to? Uh, wasn't it like two million sandbags or something they were having to? Uh, they were having to create yesterday. Mm-hmm. Terrible weather. And the uh, National Guard says they know some others are out there, but they don't know exactly where. So they're sending out helicopters to Jesus. try to find 30 inches of snow in the Black Hills, four feet in parts of Wyoming. Here's a dumb question. When they say that they have to make sandbags, I'm not going to ask how they make sandbags. I know it's a bag filled with I, I understand it's filled with sand. I know. I guess my thing is, from where does the sand come? A sand pile. I'm, I'm not What's sure. What sand pile where? I think, like, public works departments have big piles of sand. I've seen them. Is that true? Yes. Do we have big piles of sand in Portland? Somewhere. You're making that up. You're making it up because you know I can't check. I'm busy. I'm here doing the you, show. I can't know, leave and go look. You know where I saw a big pile of sand? At the beach? It was in a public works department open garage in Otis as I was on my way to the beach. A big pile of sand in Otis. In that's Otis, Oregon? Oregon? Yes. That's the last time I saw a big pile of sand for use on the roadways. Is Otis that town that we were going to buy yeah. because it was for sale? Mm-hmm. It was like 400 grand or something it's and we talked to the guy now. selling it. Yep. Well, what with the economy and all, Tim? Your hair may fall out. Uh, well, in any event. So we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. He is in Fargo, North Dakota where they're, uh, I guess, preparing for, because it's a floodplain. 
which because that's where the I think that's where the ground is very flat and very hard, which means that if you know, it's like a countertop, basically, except people live there. So we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum. We'll talk to Jim Roop. Uh, we will talk to Michael McKeon uh, of Spinal Tap fame, a Mighty Wind fame, Lenny and Squicky fame, from the movie Airheads, from the Brady Bunch movie. So those guys are going to be in town. Michael McKeon, uh, Christopher Guest, and Harry Shearer are all going to be in town. They're going to be at the Keller April 19th. And it's not, they're not going to be sort of in character. They're not touring as Spinal Tap. But they're sort of touring doing all the, you know, kind of all the songs that those guys have done with various projects in their career. So we will speak to Michael McKeon later today, which is fantastic. Dorothy Cassisari from the National Enquirer will be joining us. I think the first time since we've uh, since we've moved the morning. She was out of town for a while. So the National Enquirer, uh, we will do uh, yesterday's top five today. I'm going to have to fight off the years to do everything in that voice. Top five. I know, seriously, you've done like half their stuff now. Closing credit themes to a TV show. I think that's how we're calling it. That's what we're describing it as right now. The top five closing credit themes to a television program. I keep forgetting we haven't done that yet. No, we uh, because we talked about it yesterday for like an hour because we couldn't figure out the linguistics of it. There's the sort of uh, the verbal underpinnings of how to put that sentence together were just so they, they were very intimidating. So we spent a lot. I think we spent more time yesterday actually talking about how to phrase the description of the top five. Like if we but if we just sort of gone back if we could remove all of that from yesterday's program we would have had the time to actually do the top five. So I'm not going to set a trend with this though. We're going to get to that today. Today, today, today. Also today. Another chance for you to win it before you can buy it. Guitar Hero Metallica. Uh, we will have another installment of Spot the Fake Metal Lyrics today, Gothic Edition. Today, the Gothic Edition of Spot the Fake Metal Lyrics uh, for your chance to win a copy of Guitar Hero Metallica. It's in stores March 29th, but of course you can win it. Today, it's the most intense Guitar Hero yet. Also throwing in a canister of eco-friendly, what? Gaming wipes. The only antibacterial designed for your gaming gear. It safely cleans all handheld electronics and your hands, too. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Uh, Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification. The exotic pet band passes the state center. Now it goes on to the house. Laid-off workers can attend community colleges for free. Sadly, they're all the way in Klamath Falls. Ridership on TriMet's new West Line from Wilsonville to Beaverton is very low. Attention movie fans, 2,000 extras are needed for a Harrison Ford, Brandon Frazier film shooting here next month. The Pentagon will change the name of the War on Terror to Overseas Contingency Operation. A California woman uses a fake ID to buy fake breasts. A new study shows spanking children doesn't make them behave. Prima Donna reporters ask the president a variety of stupid questions. At least one gets a beat down. And a Washington state man pays for a Portland parking ticket with a bag of urine-soaked change. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's that's wrong. You shouldn't do those things. Please tell me it was Helen Thomas that got the beat down. No, what? Helen Thomas sat there quietly with her head in her hands most of the night. Really? Yeah. I, how old is Helen Thomas, do you suppose? I mean, she's got to be 90. At least. I. Do you remember that? Wasn't that a whole thing where the, the, uh, didn't the, the, the moon guys buy that paper she worked for? Well, she yes. worked for the New York Times, not the New York Times. What does Helen Thomas work for? Who does she work for? Was now? it like a news syndicate, like the UPI Washington or something? something? She worked for UPI, then AP. She worked for them all, and then she went to uh, work for. Is it the Washington Star? 
The Washington Times. I think the Washington, Washington Star doesn't Times. exist anymore. Yeah, the Washington Times, which was owned by the Moonies, I think. I see. That's, so Helen Thomas, if you don't know who Helen Thomas is, uh, she's a reporter, the, the grand dame of Washington journalism. She is that sort of small, kind of hunched over woman that you would see in the front row at every presidential press conference for they like a thousand back. years. Under W. See, George Bush was the one. His administration, man, they didn't. They didn't play. They shoved her right in the back of the room. And they haven't moved her back yet. Because it was a whole thing where they, like, you, it was known that you always called on Helen Thomas first because she'd just been there since she was like Methuselah. She'd just been there since the dawn of creation, and it was understood that just because she had so much seniority, you would always call on her first. And like W, right out of the gate, was just like, and first I'll take this guy over here from some blog. And there was like this gasp in the room that he wouldn't call on Helen Thomas, and it was just a sort of like she is eighty. She's almost 89. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, she's, she's been there forever. But something about 57 news... 57 years. News keeps you young, though. You notice that Mike Wallace isn't dead? I wonder if Mike Wallace has noticed that Mike Wallace isn't dead. That's a guy who just gets older and grayer and older and grayer, but never actually dies. Not unlike more. I think Morley Safer's still alive. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of those guys... It's, has anybody from 60 Minutes ever died except for Ed Bradley? And Ed Bradley, you wouldn't think was dead. He's a guy you have to commit it to memory because he doesn't seem like he ought to be dead. I don't think so. No, I think Ed Bradley, he sort of took the death for everybody there because the rest of those guys just... Andy Rooney's still alive, for the love of God. So... I know, he's never ill. No, never, never, never. Um, Well, that's because we all get up bright and early. That's right. Every morning. It's broadcasting of information that keeps you spry. It does. Final thought on Helen Thomas. I don't know who the Moonies are. And don't they seem like an organization, because they bought UPI or Reuters or some such, and the Moonies seem like some organization that, A, hasn't existed since the 60s, and B, doesn't really have enough money to buy anything, and yet they apparently bought a whole news syndicate. Mm-hmm. Are they the guys that are always hanging out in the airport in the robes? Like, they, they, they have those, like, Dixie Cup outfits? I haven't seen them in a long time. I see a lot of Mormons, especially in my neighborhood. I hear Moonies referenced more than I think... Then they actually exist. I think they're a thing that exists. They basically are only there to be referenced in movies at this point. They, they were feared in the 70s like Patty Hearst. <laughs> really? Yes. I don't know. The Moonies are in the uh, the Moonies are on the front lawn with automatic weapons again. Somebody call somebody. So now she, she's back with the Hearst newspapers as a columnist. The Hearst newspapers? That's what it said, yeah. <laughs> Your hair may fall out. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. Hello. How are you today? Hi. I'm doing well. Looking uh, resplendent, and you're all black today. I yes, I An know. Exciting appointment coming up later on, perhaps a funeral. Yes, no, I actually. I'm I sorry. Th- was it re- is it really a funeral? No, no, I'm not going to a funeral. Okay, I feel like an ass. But I'm I have sorry. Kind of, I have kind of an awkward afternoon coming up for me because today, I have to break up with my therapist. Oh, is this the uh, is this your the chick shrink? Yes. The one who's been divorced like nine times. What's her marriage? How Four. many marriages is she on? This is her fourth, I think. Fourth? Third or fourth? I think fourth. So she's the Tom Likas of therapists. (laughs) Indeed. Um, Well done. uh, So is she on her fourth marriage, or is she done with her? She's on her fourth marriage. She's been married for like ten years to the fourth one. Well, look, it's none of my business. Is she helping you with relationship issues? Or, I mean, theoretically? No, it was just like a lot of you know, like like work stress and you know I don't know just like a little bit of everything. But now it's come, gotten to the point where I go see her and I don't really have anything to talk about. It's because you're perfect, Sarah. It's because oh, yes. you've fixed all of your various insanities. Well, it's one of those things where I'm just like trying to struggle to like find something to talk about. Oh, you life. don't want to do that. No. No, especially because you're paying for that. No, I know, and she's is. and she's really cool, and I like spending time with her. But um, you just end up talking about the weather. 
So anyway, I saw Watchmen over the weekend or whatever. That is that the thing? Yeah, yeah. For the most part, we'll start talking about like movies or whatever, and I'm just like looking at the clock, trying to stretch out the time. Like, but okay. you can do that in here for nothing. Exactly. I mean, really, you. I mean, yeah, you actually get paid to do that for like four hours. So here, I was supposed so. to see her last week, and then. Um, I delayed it. I, I postponed the breakup. Oh, I'm sorry. Mom from out of town, oh, I and I got to wash it. my hair. Oh, it's very... I'm sorry about that. So today after the show, I'm going to meet up with her, so I'm already kind of a little so nervous about it. So you're not dumping your shrink because she's been divorced three times? Mm-mm. Okay. Because no, they, no, I just have nothing to talk to her about anymore, but I really enjoy speaking with her because she's really cool, but... You should suggest that you... I'm sorry. See, I'm quoting Deconstructing Harry, which you haven't seen. i got to bring that in so you can see it. Yes. Because you've seen uh, Annie Hall... Is there anything else? Have you ever seen another Woody Allen film? You've seen Annie Hall? Anything else? I've seen Annie Hall and I've seen Matchpoint. You've never seen Radio Days? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah, see? I I hadn't thought about that one. Matchpoint is good, although it's not a typical Woody Allen film. It's very, it's very Oh, I did not like that movie. It's stressful. Yeah. It's a stressful film. It, that's kind of his Hitchcock. Um, Zelig is a great film, too. Mm-hmm. I, for me, I'm saying for me, don't get me wrong, I want to knock Radio Days, I want to knock Annie Hall or Manhattan or uh, any of those great films. Even stuff like Curse of the Jade Scorpion, which I which I quite like. Um, for me, when it comes to Woody Allen, it's all either deconstructing Harry or it's crimes and misdemeanors, which is probably the best thing he ever did, which is just just a just a jaw droppingly good film. But deconstructing Harry is probably a good entry point if you don't have a big experience with Woody Allen, because it's very it's very it's very uh, crowd pleasing. It's very family friendly. Not family friendly. That's that's the that's the that's the wrong. Uh, there's really nothing family friendly about it. That's the don't rent that with your kids in the room. Rick Emerson retracted. It's not family friendly. But I guess what I'm saying is it's sort of mainstream. It's a mainstream film. But there is this um, there's this small subplot about him falling in love with his shrink. And there's this uh, sequence where he says, so I think we should wait a while. And then in six months, if we both uh, feel the same, we should see each other socially. And so that seems to be like, not that you're going to see your shrink socially, mm-hmm. but it seems like you've just become pals. Is your shrink going to resist, though? Is this going to be like that... Uh, that Metallica, some kind of monster thing, where they try to dump the therapist, and the therapist starts going, well, I don't know that that's a good idea. I think you ought to keep me around. Please don't fire me. I know. I don't I don't know. I don't think so. But I'm just really nervous, because I really like her, but I don't I don't want her to be like, no, you're totally messed up. No, see, know, but that, keep... yeah, is that, now, does the shrink, you, do you think, does she, does she know? In other words, is this like a relationship in that you both know that something's just, uh, I the think spark she knows, is not there? Because last time, I haven't seen her in, like, a month, probably, and, um... And so I kept delaying the last... You should th- break up over the phone. No, because I it's respect a shrink. her what too do you much. Care? That's, like, that's just silly. That's like, a, that's like feeling you have to go in and talk to the guy who fixes your typewriter or whatever. No, that's different. She was fixing my brain. Well, but now you're fixed. I know, but I, I feel like over... Are you paying for this appointment today? Uh, no, my insurance is covering it, thank goodness. All right, so... Brain insurance? No, yeah. no, the her insurance. Oh, it's not yeah. brain insurance. <laughs> well, it's kind of brain insurance, I guess. Kind of, sort of. No, but I feel like I, I owe her enough to, um, you know, to be able to go and do it in person instead of, you know, on the internet or on the phone. Cindy, you're a great gal, <laughs> but I feel like we've come to the end of the road with us. So how is it? Uh, are you are you going to spend the full hour? Or are you going to walk in and like in the first eight minutes be like, and I'm done? Maybe I'm I'm gonna start taking because I have um, like an hour between um, when we're done with the show and when I'm seeing her. So I'm gonna take some notes of things to talk to her about. Top five. Are yeah. you stressing out about this? I'm a little stressed out. I couldn't really sleep last night because I'm, you know, because I'm worried. I don't want, I don't want to hurt her feelings. This you have a whole. I think there's something unhealthy happening between you and your uh, shrink. I mean, don't take that the wrong way. I'm just saying. I think this is. A, I don't think you should be nervous when you're telling your shrink you, uh, you're breaking up. Are you afraid she's gonna go? Uh, Wacky somehow? No, no, I just don't. She's just really nice, and I enjoy talking with her. I just don't want to hurt her feelings. 
So she's gonna. You don't want her to think that uh, that she hasn't been helpful. Yes. All right. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Is it gonna be like a clip show where for the first forty-five minutes, like, so Cindy, do you remember that time that? And then it like the screen goes all squiggly and it cuts to you on a sofa, <laughs> like wailing about a puppy you lost when you were in third grade. Oh God. All right. Well. Yeah, so wish me luck with so we'll that. We'll have lots to talk about tomorrow, I'm sure. Oh, Here, boy, just on the card. <laughs> about your firing. I, I don't know. I've never had a shrink or been to one. How is that possible? I don't know. All right. I mean, I, you know, if I'm stressed, I'll just soak in the bathtub for a while. Why what didn't I think of that? <laughs> and I'm that seems a lot cheaper. <laughs> Seriously. All right. Well, on that note, it's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101, KUFO, Jim Ruperanco. That's correct. It is the Rick Emerson radio program on Wednesday morning, and good morning to you. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Moments away from Tim Riley at the news desk. Later on, Michael McKeon of uh, Spinal Tap fame. He will be in town with uh, Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer, April 19th. Also, your chance to win Guitar Hero Metallica. That's all coming up. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson radio program from... Los Angeles, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, I say, waiting for the computer to fire the music bed, which plays every day without incident, flawlessly, there you go, that's wonderful. Hello, Jim Roop, how are you? What's up, bro? Well, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Is it? Yes, it is. How are things under, let's that's take a moment. the morning shift, boss. Yes, it is. Let's uh, let's take a moment to look behind the curtain, shall we? Hi, Sarah. How are things working over there? I love when people play with the board and then don't put it back. Yeah, we think it was something taken out of program. Yes. Of no, course. no, no, not out of program. Um, never mind. Something very behind the curtain. Was there a? It was a bit of an issue with buttons being pushed or yes. not pushed, as the case may be. Uh huh. I'm sure that whatever happened, Greg Nibbler isn't to blame. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, maybe hello. somebody listening to the YouTube. <laughs> That's right, Tim. Somebody's busy getting a teletype feed. Uh, good morning, Jim Rupas Life in Los Angeles. Life's great. Uh, can I just uh, tell you this? I don't even remember. It's not like we have to recap the whole thing. I don't even really remember what Phil Spector's accused of at this point, because the first thing I thought of was like shooting a woman in a car outside a restaurant, but that's not even that's, him. That's Robert, that's Robert Blake, Blake, allegedly, who I guess we say now and didn't. I, there was did, no knives involved. Didn't. That's O.J. Simpson. <laughs> can I tell you I saw the greatest thing last night? It was... Uh, there's this uh, film festival that travels around the country that I really strongly encourage everyone to see. We have these guys on whenever they come to town. It's called the Found Footage Film Festival. And these guys just tour the country and they'll go to like, uh, you know, like they'll pick like an indie theater, an art theater or something. And they, they show 90 minutes of just film clips and movies and uh, just stuff that they've just things that have just turned up like at garage sales or movies that they found in a drawer somewhere or at, like at a flea market and it's everything from like old sort of uh like uh, kind of classroom educational films to like uh, safety films to workplace training films to celebrity exercise tapes there is this thing of so Laura and I were watching the the third edition they put it out on a DVD when the film when the when the festival's done and we were watching it last night. One of the things was a McDonald's training video from 1985 in which everything is rapped, because that was when, you know, everything had to be a rap song. And so it was a whole lot of, like, put the burger on the grill. Uh, and then it shows, like, like, shoving a mop and cleaning the floor. But they had a whole montage of bad celebrity workout videos. One of them, they, there's one with Estelle Getty. There's one with Zsa Zsa Gabor. There was one with uh, former porn star Tracy Lords, which is really disturbing. One with Alyssa Milano, and then I swear to God, there's the one with O.J. Simpson. You're kidding. No, no. O.J. Simpson put out at one point a celebrity workout video. And the best slash most horrifying slash most unintentionally hilarious part of it is 
at one point, O.J. is there, and it's like, you know, it's the classic celebrity workout tape where he's he's sitting, uh, you know, he's kind of standing on a mat in the middle of a kind of a, you know, kind of a studio, and he's flanked by a whole bunch of people behind him that are sort of mirroring his moves as he's showing, like, the one-two. And he does this this motion where he kind of turns to the right, and he sort of does, like, a jab with his fist over and over again, sort of like you're kind of doing shadow boxing. And he actually makes a joke, something to the effect of, this is a move you can really use on your wife. <laughs> Which I think even before he was accused of, you know, killing her, uh, might have been seen as perhaps inappropriate. You think? But you watch it now and it's just, it's one of those things that, it, like, it's like you, it's so horrifying and yet so just unbelievably uh, jarring and unexpected that Laura and I just sort of froze for a second and then we just continued watching with a just a small dark chuckle. So I'll uh, if, if I ever if I get a spare copy that I'll send it your way. It's, it's oh, quite, that'd be great. It really is. It's worth watching. So, but but this is Phil Spector was where the whole thing is this B movie actress and maybe she shot herself and maybe maybe she right. had I mean, some help defense, shooting herself. Yeah, the defense in their closing argument was saying yesterday that um, th- there is no scientific evidence that can prove Phil Spector fired that gun. Um, everything else is debatable. The testimony of the limo driver, he said, who says that Specter came out of the house with a gun, saying, "I think I killed somebody." To the other five women who claim Specter held guns to their heads, all that's debatable. The scientific evidence, he says, is not. I mean, truly, there's no DNA of Specters on that gun. Uh, there's very little blood on his clothing for someone being that close and pulling the trigger. So there's a lot of. I wonder. You know, there's a lot of debatable information. Well, not debatable, but there's a lot of questionable forensic evidence on the part of the prosecution. But the good news here is that the jury is allowed to consider involuntary manslaughter, meaning he maybe not intended to shoot her. That happened accidentally, but he caused it because he's the one who had the gun in her mouth, so to speak. (laughs) Like it was a whole. Hold on, you've got a little piece of celery between your teeth. Yeah, I don't have a toothpick. Hold on. This gun yeah. to scrape it off. <laughs> let me get my Magnum. <laughs> um, or so. And this is I. This is part of the, uh, the what are they what are they called the 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 uh, the CSI effect they say now where it's like a lot of times it's hard to get jurors to convict somebody because they spend all this time watching David Caruso uh, get up there where he has like some fingerprint analysis and you know and where they have. You know, like some some uh, futuristic computer program that shows how the DNA had to have come from the defendant. Right. And now they don't. You know, they don't have it now. That the jurors a lot of times feel like there's no evidence. And doesn't Phil Spector also seem just crazy enough that he might have like had his fingerprint sanded away or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? That he might have like futuristic uh, robo hands or something. Just like have no actual that I have think, no skin. I'll tell you this, man. In seeing him, because and in the six years this has been going on, he's aged about twenty. Yeah. He's, he's only sixty nine, but he looks. 89 and he may his hands are so wrinkled i don't know what's wrinkles and what's fingerprint i mean it's it'd be hard to determine what his fingerprints are he seems like a he, he, he's obviously you know everybody called a genius maybe he is maybe he isn't but he's you know certainly um certainly a what we might call a creative individual very driven but also a recluse and more than a little eccentric he seems like he might have some of that michael jackson thing going on where you know, where he would have like some some uh, weird hyperbaric acid thing or whatever that he was just soaking his uh, his hands in every night because he's a germ freak. So it's it's not altogether unsurprising that he might be uh, you know not leaving DNA everywhere he uh, everywhere he goes or whatever. But... I'm sure if that were the case, so that that would have been brought up. Did they ever bring up the fact that he pointed a gun at all the Ramones when they were in the studio too? Uh, gun uh, th- that stuff came up in the first trial. I mean, he he shot the he shot the ceiling. During a uh, during a session with the Beatles, uh, that came out. John Lennon even talked about that in some um, 
talking about Phil Spector in some recording I heard. Oh, and, um, yeah, that he's he's always whipping a gun out and displaying it when he's ticked off about something. So his his craziness and his, and his gun-waving is legendary, as legendary as his wall of sound is. He's the, uh, he's the Suge Knight of an earlier era. Yeah, sir. but the, the only thing that, that was really talked about were the five women who claimed that, you know, over a 30-year period, five women who claimed that uh, he held guns to their heads when they refused his sexual advances. Doesn't it seem like at a certain point, like one, okay, you know, like, like where's the tipping point? One woman says he held a gun, or maybe she's crazy. Two, well, maybe one's crazy and one's looking for attention. When you reach the point of five different women all kind of saying, well, and then I wouldn't put out, so he put a gun in my eye. I mean, that seems like you're, seems like you were crossing the threshold into believability Especially at that point. Especially because these women don't know each other. Right. I mean, this is a 30-year span. Yeah. And then and, and it's like the prosecutor said Monday, uh, you know, five women got the empty chamber, and Lana Clarkson happened to be the sixth one that got the bullet. Exactly. Hey, yeah. uh, real quickly, so just on, the, on the subject of celebrity trials and all that stuff, there's a story coming up later on that I, I was going to see if you had some advanced clarification on. I can never keep track of whether they sold Neverland out from underneath Michael Jackson or not. In other words, they just, they, no, it's not sold yet. Okay, but, it's, but it, he doesn't live there anymore. Like, they hung a big – it's like that – what is it like that Geico commercial or whatever where it shows like MC Hammer moving into his mansion and then like five minutes later he's sitting on the curb? Yeah. Isn't that the thing where it's like they padlocked the gate or whatever? It doesn't belong to Jackson the anymore. Gates don't even, the gates aren't even there anymore. They, they, they sold the gates. gates away. They sold the gates for drug money. Well, the gates are part of the auction that's coming up in April. They auctioned off the gates. It seems like that. Look, the gate, I, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's being auctioned off. And he's, you know, he's claiming uh, he's suing the auction house. Uh, because he was supposed to, they were supposed to take a bunch of stuff, inventory it, send him pictures of the things so he can pick the things not to sell, yet they're going ahead and selling all of it anyway. So there's this whole controversy going on anyway. Meanwhile, um, the, you know, I forgot who the, who forget who the auction house is, but uh, meanwhile, the auction's going forward, I think, in April. I'm no a genius or anything, but it seems like if you get a whole mansion full of valuable stuff, you sell the gates last. I mean... <laughs> Just seems to me, I, I hate to think like outside in on it, but I mean, you know. It they, took like three semis to haul stuff out of there that this auction house took. When you get that, when they're emptying out Neverland, don't you sort of get that image like an animal house where it's like they're just bringing all the weird stuff out of the frat and it's like, you know, it's like starts, it starts with a mannequin, then it's a big case of Jack Daniels, then it's a donkey, then it's, you know, then it's like three circus clowns and a Shriner, and then it's like Hitler's brain, you know, it's just like every insane thing you can possibly, then it's just a big, you know, then it's, then it's like a stuntman who's on fire, you know, they found him in the basement. It's just every, every nutcase thing you could possibly imagine. All I'll right. tell you, going through that joint, I would sure hate to think about some of the stuff they may have found. I, you know, to me, the inside of Neverland is sort of like the inside of Graceland. Where there's probably just all it's like that that Winchester mystery house probably where there's just corridors that go to nowhere but insanity. That would be my uh, yeah. my read on it. Well, I hope that at some point they uh, they open that place up. I mean, I would I totally take the nickel tour of Neverland if they uh, if they made it a tourable place. Yeah, I would. Yeah. All right. Well, on on that note, my friend, it's good to know that celebrities continue to make our lives and our jobs interesting on a daily basis. It is beautiful. All right. Enjoy your day, sir. Thank you. There you go, Jim Roop in Los Angeles. Uh, let's get this call about Fargo, and then uh, just ahead, Tim Riley, you'll have uh, news for the people. Yes, speaking of Fargo, the uh, the chairman of their Salvation Army in Fargo says, fear is a healthy emotion and creates respect for the situation. As does shame. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Who might this be? 
This is Russ from Bismarck, North Dakota. Are you calling from Bismarck right now, sir? Yes, sir. All right. It's, and flooding, it's flooding here, too. Is it flooding where you are? Oh, yeah. All right. So this is now where is Bismarck in relation to Fargo? Uh, about 200 miles west. So here's a silly question. I don't mean to, I'm not trying to be obtuse about this. I just don't really know how, how stuff works. Where is the water coming from? By which I mean, this isn't like a prolonged rainstorm or, or, or something. Is it, is it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hurricane or it's a whatever. Like where, like where did the water come from that's flooding you? Well, uh, we had tons of snow this year and I have to clarify, Steve Kastenbaum had it wrong yesterday. He was saying that the water was coming from the Canadian Rockies. Uh huh. Well, the Red River in, North, in Fargo flows north. It's one of, like, two rivers in the world that flows north instead of south. All right. So all that water is coming from the south, not, the, not Canada. And so here's another... It, it says here they're going to use a helicopter to dynamite an ice jam to ease the flooding around Bismarck. Wow, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Crazy here. So is yeah. it, I, I mean, is it, I mean, we're just talking about it here, but I don't, I, it sounds like a silly question, but is it, is this dangerous? I mean, is it really, is this, is there a chance that this is just going to be really causing, um, like, a lot of actual uh, uh, jeopardy to people's uh, lives? Or is oh, it just yeah. a property There's, issue? They, they evacuated a bunch of people, you know, just south of where I live here in Bismarck. But Fargo, they're supposed to have a record, you know, Ten year, well, twelve years ago, we had a record flood in Fargo, and it's supposed to be higher this year than it is mm. was twelve years ago. All right, well, so uh, it's, it's just nuts out there. Well, thank you for the uh, thank you for the clarification. Well, stay uh, stay safe and dry, sir. We'll sure try. All right, thank you, my friend. That's Russ in North Dakota. It says they're Norwegian, German, and stubborn, and nobody's bailing. Excellent. I refuse. They'll be, they're all going to be. Uh, they're all going to be out there. In, well, I guess wooden shoes are Norwegian. That's not a German thing. I was just picturing no, a bunch of shoes are from the Netherlands. They're Dutch. They're Dutch. I was just picturing about the North Dakotans of wooden shoes refusing to leave, but that's just silly. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. You know what I didn't know is that uh, rejoiner that just played there, that liner, where it says, thank you, Portland. That actually is Metallica, and it was from their Portland show, which is fantastic. Very cool. Uh, Paul Hogan, alive or dead, Tim? I'm looking here. It looks like he is How still alive. <laughs> By the way. I'm trying to see what, he, uh, what that, he's been doing now. That's the worst response if you're a celebrity when I say, hey, is, so, is so-and-so dead or alive? And it, we don't know the answer. It's a hold on. Hold on. I'm searching. No, no, no. I'm looking it up. In 2001, he was living in a farmhouse near Santa Barbara. As of last year, he's back in Australia, in New South Wales. Here's another question, Tim. Uh, uh, don't look ahead. This is just to see if anybody in the room knows. How many Crocodile Dundee films are there? Three. See, I don't know. I think it's three, but oh. I'm not not entirely sure. Don't you suspect that there's a fourth one that was like right to DVD, but probably in Australia one, only? One, two, two, three, two. And the Crocodile Dundee goes to Hollywood. Crocodile D- Dundee mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. That, is that the one? I'm, is that the third one? Yeah. All right. Well, that know, was 2001. Let me ask you this: Have you ever gone back and watched Crocodile Dundee? Mm-mm. It's a terrible film. I mean, it was bad at the time. You go back and watch it now. There's nothing even remotely good about that movie. It, He's filming a movie called Charlie and Boots right now. I'm sure it'll be a huge hit, Tim. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Tim Riley at the news desk. In the news with Tim Riley. Well, get ready. Your computer's going to go down a week from now. Millions of personal computers worldwide could fall ill a week from today. And it won't be an April Fool's joke. It's due to a worm called a corn thicker. Be careful with that one. Corn thicker. 
It's going to strike next Wednesday, crippling 12 million computers. Oh, I'm sorry, corn picker. I barely knew her. All right. Another news. A Gresham man sentenced to life in prison for killing his mother-in-law, 42-year-old William Nepper, pled guilty to smothering 68-year-old Paula Jordan. He hit the woman in the head with a lamp, suffocated her. After she found out, he opened credit cards in her name. Then he took some of her belongings, threw them in a dumpster to make it look like a bribery. He didn't realize that her cell phone was on all the time. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm of course, oh not mocking the crime itself, but really just Gresham. the idea that... A Gresham man. I was Smothering his mother-in-law with a lamp. I was going to say, I don't believe he smothered her with a lamp, Tim. I think that would be difficult. You'd have to cut the lamp into small pieces. That is true. And then you'd have to convince her to put all the pieces in her mouth, which probably seems like an uphill struggle. Um, Really, just the idea, though, that once again, a guy in Gresham is foiled by his own tiny brain. So, and also, not only, I mean, not only is her phone on the entire time, but according to the facts, as you read them in the article, he's trying to make it look like robbery, by taking a bunch of her things and putting them in a dumpster. Here's a little, uh, just an observation from me to perspective uh, criminals out there. When somebody steals something, they don't generally steal it from the house and then stick it in the trash out front. You steal it because you want to take it with you. I know that seems like a minor distinction, but uh, such things are, the, uh, are a boon to law enforcement everywhere. So I just thought I'd help you out. Two local college campuses say they'll allow newly laid off workers to attend classes for free. The bad part is they're nowhere around here. This is the Oregon Institute of Technology of Klamath Falls. Really? And Klamath Falls Community College. Is that like the uh, is that like the Scientific Institute of Vernonia? I guess so. So you might as well go if it's free. You come on out here to the Supercomputer Institute of North Plains, and we'll get your learning on. A Washington man had a unique idea of how to protest and pay for a speeding ticket out of Portland by sending a bag of urine-soaked spare change to the Multnomah County Court Payment Division. Did he mail it? Please tell me he mailed the urine soap Michael change. Lynch didn't break any federal law by sending the bag because it's not against the law to mail a box of bodily fluids as long as they're packed correctly and they don't smell. So he had very clean urine. But the court did not accept the change payment. Sending the coins back to Lynch in a letter saying the payment was not acceptable because the coins had a strong, pugnant odor of stale urine. So it could have an odor of, uh, I guess, other things just not of urine? I guess so. Because, well, first of all, who, by the way, the phrase sending a box of urine is kind of funny. Uh, You always hear these stories, and this is like a thing that, I mean, about every 90 days, there'll be something in the news uh, about some wiseacre who decides that he wasn't going to pay, like he's like his cable bill or something with pennies, Mm -hmm. which I think stopped being interesting about 50 years ago. Like the first five or 6,000 times you heard about a guy, I'll show you, I'm going to pay this with dimes, and they're all going to be in individually sealed envelopes. I mean, I guess there was a time when that sort of thing was uh, was kind of creative, and now it's just, you know, now it's just kind of a the kind of a jackass move. But the idea that he's soaking them in his own urine, mm-hmm. which he can then mail, which isn't illegal, is sort of fascinating to me. Also, because I think it's different. I think there are certain things you're allowed to pay with pennies, like to, it's a, like a kind of protest. But there's certain things you're not. And I think the distinction is, if it's money that you already owe, then. In other words, if it's a uh, if it's a previously existing debt and not like you're asking to buy something, like I don't think you could go up with a wheelbarrow full of pennies and say, "Hey, I'll, I'll take this candy bar," but because then they can just say no. But I think if it's money you owe, 
then like you, the, the debt is upon you, and therefore they must take the tender or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like um, it seems like it's going to be enough work for those guys that just the additional task of having them sort through your biohazard urine is probably too. That's one brush stroke too many, I would think. Here's Tim Riley. Time for Jackson Watch. Here's your Jackson Watch for Wednesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Your Jackson Watch for Wednesday. Michael Jackson is reportedly considering riding an elephant on stage when he performs his forthcoming dates in London. Oh, but it gets so yes. much better. He's riding an elephant on stage, but that's only the beginning. He's embarking on a residency of some 50 dates at the O2 Arena in the summer. According to the Mirror, the eccentric singer has requested an elephant, a panther, snakes, tropical birds, and three monkeys for a stage show. <laughs> he hopes to make it the most spectacular gig ever. For the jungle section, he wants to ride out on an African elephant with panthers led on gold chains. Parrots and other birds will fly behind him. Does he know that you can't really train parrots to just fly behind you wherever you go? (laughs) Has somebody broken the news to him? It it recently emerged that Jackson is planning to travel to London by boat because he's scared of flying. Bosses at AEG Live, which is hosting this uh, summer concert date, will hire a boat to ferry the star to and from the shows. So the, we never did find out when these 50 dates at the O2 Arena, which is a big place, by the way, mm-hmm. because I went back and I watched, I had this uh, 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 this Zeppelin, this bootleg of the Zeppelin reunion at the O2 Arena. Um, I mean, a friend of mine has a bootleg, uh, an incredibly high-quality bootleg. And it, the, the O2 Arena is massive. I mean, that's a large place. So the idea that he's going to be doing 50, I mean, even if it was over five years, that still is, he's in. If it was 50 gigs over five years, that's... Let's see, five, that's 60. That's like one a month, though. And that's clearly not going to happen. There's just no way. Plus, the idea that it's not just Panthers, it's Panthers on gold chains. Which reminds me of this before we do the second half of the Jackson Watch. Did you see the thing about Siegfried and Roy's finale or their farewell show or whatever? I did, yes. Did you see the the thinking? Who was the guy that got attacked? Was it Roy? Who was the guy that got all tigered? I thought it was Siegfried. Maybe it's Siegfried. Well, it was one of them. One of the guys, the guy that got all uh, clawed up. First of all, that they had the tiger that actually attacked him was in the f- the reunion show or the the f- the farewell show, which is gotta be a little creepy. But then it doesn't really matter because they think it was actually not him, because I guess it was I guess he was wearing like a clown mask or something or you know like one of those, you know like one of those decorative masks like the kind of fancy porcelain mask things like whoever it was the alleged Siegfried or Roy or whoever, mm-hmm. I guess he had one of those on the entire performance even in rehearsal. And so really? there's this, yeah and so there's this speculation it wasn't really him that he's like, maybe that is his new face. Look, we're all out of actual transplantable faces. How do you feel about a clown mask? <laughs> Soldered right under your skull. Uh, how do you feel about, uh, let's see, Tor Johnson? Baby Longstocking. William Shatner. I'm sorry, here's the second half of the uh, Jackson Watch. One of Michael Jackson's crystal-encrusted gloves will be on display in Times Square this week in a preview of a planned auction of his possessions. Some 2,000 items taken from his Neverland Ranch are scheduled to be sold during a televised auction in April. It's still unclear whether the auction will take place. Uh, Jackson is soon to stop the sale. The auction house says Jackson's managers authorized this. A small sampling of items will be on display at the Hard Rock Cafe. I got two things. One, it doesn't seem like we were ever, we the people, were ever given an opportunity to bid on the things in, in Neverland. Because I would totally buy like a square of carpet from that place. You know, like a, Everything like a little, that you wanted to. Wouldn't you? I mean, if you could get a square uh, no, of Neverland that. carpet. 
I don't really care about Michael Jackson at all. I think maybe I'm just he just missed like his pop culture phenomenon missed me just by a little bit. I think he's just, I, I, you know I'm not wasn't like a big Michael Jackson fan, but it's like he's just such a nutcase though. Mm-hmm. He's such a and plus you know it's like here's a question. Do you ever think about this with Michael Jackson? Do you ever think about how his life is going to end? In other words, I you know I'm not wishing him an early death or anything. I'm just saying. Like, he's, whatever, 50 or something now? Yes. But, I mean, what what is Michael Jackson, like, when he's 80? What's that going to be like? What is it? Uh, I just, not that I ever want anything to happen to him because he's such a goldmine of mm-hmm. weirdness, but I'm looking forward to when he's deceased because then you can actually, <laughs> <laughs> you can see, like, be a lot of people do investigate We can root around in his bones. Well, remember hearing all that stuff about that secret Peter Pan room in yes. his house and stuff? Because like, then every, you'll finally be able to, like, find all the secret rooms and stuff that he's lived in. You would think so, and maybe especially with him because with unlike with Elvis... Uh, like, you know, Elvis has got Priscilla Presley, who's just, just an evil robot woman who will not let, I mean, even after he'd been dead for like 40 years or whatever, and, and you you still like, you know, nobody can look at the, sounds dumb, but nobody can see the bathroom at Graceland. Uh, the bathroom is sealed off and no one can look at it. So, but there's no Priscilla uh, to, to, to Michael's, um, you know, to Michael's Elvis. So there's probably nobody to sort of do this. So you're right. Once he dies, you know, they might, you might be able to, you know, you might be able to take a gander at that. I just can't. It's like 20 years ago, who would have imagined that that guy on the cover of the Thriller record would be this guy who's, you know, looks like Skeletor and has panthers and monkeys or something flying behind him when he goes on stage. I, so I can't even, like, what will he look like in another 20 years? I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 20 years, he'll be, I mean, he'll be, uh, I'm, I was trying to insert it like he'll be a midget or whatever, but I can't, there's nothing I can come up with. It's crazy enough because it's like he's gone so weird in just the last two decades. Well, there you go. There's your double Jackson watch uh, for Wednesday. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. so much. That's all I can do to stop, stop singing. I appreciate that, Sarah. Thanks for putting that song in my head. Honestly, I was going to take a nap yesterday, and I, but I really wanted to listen to that song, but I couldn't because I knew that I wouldn't be able to sleep if I did. We're talking about the uh, Kanye West, the yes. Love Lockdown. Which is that? I hear that and the uh, the Heartless song. Alexa, my office is backed by the by the jamming guys, and so that kind of cycles uh, throughout the day. And gets inside your head like some sort of auditory tapeworm. I mean that in the best possible way. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It is Wednesday morning, and good morning to you. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up in this hour, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, who is in uh, Fargo, North Dakota, where they are preparing for... Uh, floods where they got the two million sandbags or something or other and everything is sort mm-hmm. of just, and it, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I mean, I'm not going to say it's weird, but it's sort of like two days in a row we've actually heard from people in and around Fargo who were like that sandbagging thing. That's a thing that you sort of, um, that you sort of see depicted a lot in movies or you see it on the news, but I don't think I've ever actually lived anywhere where they have to do it. I've never really been in a town that actually faced that, where you get the guys who are you know, putting up the sandbag kind of mist style, which is... Anyway, so we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum uh, about that. Later on, we've got Michael McKeon of Spinal Tap fame. He's going to be at the Keller April 19th. He will be on the uh, show today. Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer. And the top five television... T- television. Television closing credit 
the name of this top five <laughs> has become such a big deal now. I can't wait till we get it over with so you I never know. have to think about it again. That because is true. We'll now I've got something simpler. It's like I've got a full mental block about it. It's like I can't even read the words now because it's become such a huge oak of a problem in my head. The top five television closing credit theme songs, you bastards. Tim Riley's working on the following stories on this Wednesday morning. Portland police cracking down on the city's main drug dealing area. That's Southwest 4th in Washington. They filled up a paddy wagon full of evildoers. NBC's ratings fall behind those of Univision. Luckily, they're both owned by the same company. At least one reporter gets a verbal beatdown by the president last night as reporters ask, act like self-serving prima donnas asking a variety of stupid questions. We'll have some of them later. Blockbuster will sell and rent movies on TiVo. Fantastic. Unsuspecting fishermen are being killed by giant lizards. Japanese astronauts are testing smell-free underwear. And a parrot is honored by... It's owner for warning of a little girl choking. What do you mean? Let's, okay, I want to hear more about either fishermen who are being killed by lizards or the smell-free underwear. In fact, I'm just going to vote lizards. Can we have the lizard story now, please? The lizard story now. Because I think if I have to wait uh, until the next segment to hear it, it's just going to drive me mad. Lizards. Lizards. I get the parents' story. Parents. You might have to get... I'm looking here. One moment, please. There we go. Giant lizards killing fishermen. Oh, jeez. Indonesian fishermen have been killed by Komodo dragons after being attacked while trespassing on a remote island in search of fruit. Uh, one fisherman bled to death on his way to the hospital oh. after being mauled by reptiles Wow! in the uh, Komodo National Park. The fisherman was inside the park when he went looking for sugar apples. The area is forbidden for people to enter, and there are a lot of wild dragons. One fisherman uh, took the, uh, the uh, injured fisherman to a clinic where he was declared dead on arrival. These dragons, the world's uh, heaviest lizards, can grow to 10 feet in length, have a toxic bite they use to kill prey such as buffalo, returning to uh, feast with the animals who comes to poison. Despite ungainly appearances, these reptiles can run as fast as a dog, jump up on their hind legs, and kill animals with a blow to their powerful tails. Are you making this up? I mean, I know Komodo dragons actually exist. I'm not. These are giant Komodo dragons, and this is a park dedicated to to just them. Does it say that? Why would you even it's create a human, such a park? That well, seems like a Humans bad. stay out. Gee, this done. is the dragon's only natural habitat. Done and done. Does it say how big they are? Did you? Uh, did I miss ten that feet. part? So they're and ten run as fast as dogs. They're ten feet. Uh, they're ten feet long. They run as fast as dogs. They jump up on their hind legs. And, and there are less than four thousand of them oh. in this park. Will kill human beings. But okay. so your chances of being eaten by one are very good. But I mean, when you, as you say, there's four thousand. There's only four thousand of them in a 4, park. But the point is, but they're all in one place. In other mm-hmm. words. It That's seems correct. like there ought to be just a big... Wouldn't you just stay out if you saw a sign that said, like, no fooling, there are actual dragons in this park? Wouldn't that be enough? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even go like in... you have a brain, yeah. Seriously, I, like, I don't even go in sometimes when it says that, like, the groundwater maybe, uh, you know, may have traces of lead. Like, if it's, uh, the, these fish may have mercury. I just stay away. The, the fact that there's dragons and you're sort of wandering in there, that's... Uh, that's well, all... This is where teenagers would go for a keg party or something like that. <laughs> Where should we go booze up? I don't know. How about at the Dragon Park? Exactly. <laughs> and then, but and it then, says no trespassing. <laughs> but we're teenagers. We ignore such things. And then, and then my head, it immediately just it immediately just cuts to a long shot where you just hear like you just hear a lot of some sort of vague muffled screams and then shoes sort of being thrown into the air and then just a fountain of blood, blood, blood. And the family's he's gone to a better place. <laughs> Dragon Park. 
Oh, all right. We'll bring that one back later. That's Please. That's fantastic. Here's the, the even hearing the headline. I didn't really think it was going to be that bad. And by bad, I mean wonderful. Yes, if that's this, my job. When the sign says like "Here there be dragons" or whatever, like don't don't screw around. Of all the creatures to push your luck with, dragons I mean, that run as fast as dogs and attack on their hind legs. They're ten feet tall. I don't Imagine know. that, Bob. We could just wait until the next rest up. No, no, no. I need some apples now. Let's go in that. Dra- let's go in that dragon park. Jesus. Why don't we just go to the produce aisle? <laughs> the apples are better in the dragon park. <laughs> it's worth the risk. I will not be dissuaded. Uh, that's great. I wonder if the dragon park of the warning sign is just sort of like a. Do you picture like kind of a wacky, cartoony like, you know, dragon of like with his claws? But it's but it has the zany. Di- it has the zany Disney caption. Careful, kids! I'll bite. I'm ten feet long and run like a dog. And stand on my hind legs to attack. And drink your blood. I love sugar apples. <laughs> Don't you touch my sugar apples. I love sugar apples and fishermen. It'd be like a, you know, it'd be like Davy the Dragon or something. Yes, something just like. Sorry, that. folks. This park is not fit for human trespassers. I'll eat your bones. You sound like Goliath. <laughs> oh, Davy, uh, that or uh, or the uh, what is it? The uh, the is that the the thing at Wally World? We're, sorry, folks. We're closed for two weeks to clean and repair America's favorite family fun park. I'll eat your spine. And the guy, no, no, no. I like the dragon noises. Because <laughs> <laughs> in my head, and in my head, he's got like a big smile, like googly eyes or whatever. Yeah, and they're just a pile of bones all around him. Don't take my sugar apples. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a, the sign's probably just for decorative purposes, Bob. You know they always overstate these things. Oh, uh, that's exceptional. Where is this island at so I can never go there? Indonesia. Well, okay. I'm going to avoid Indonesia, like just from now on, just a matter of... Uh, you know, it's just a matter of public record. I wanted to I wanted to know that I'm not going to be going there. Then there was a separate headline. It says, don't miss this story. Divers battle Komodo dragon before rescue. <laughs> so apparently there have been other dragon uh, attacks. Don't you think there ought to just be a big red circle around that place on the map going, don't go here? I mean, like, they'll tell you not to go to a place that they just think, like, the tide is a little strong or something. Why would they not just label... Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, on the map, why wouldn't it just say, like, dragons, you know, or whatever? Like, don't they? Like, if you're looking at a diving map, doesn't it actually say, like, you know, riptide, you know, current here? Or, uh, you know, they'll occasionally, choppy waters, be careful. And then there's a big, like, a frowny face. Why wouldn't they just circle that whole thing and put an X over it going, and, like, a picture of a dragon? Well, as a matter of, it says here, park ranchers also tell the cautionary tale of a Swiss tourist who vanished leaving nothing but a pair of spectacles and a camera <laughs> after an encounter with one of the dragons several years ago. That is, that's so great. Well, they don't eat glasses, apparently. <laughs> They're picky animals. By the way, I think, I think I've discovered where they went awry here. Sorry, I have to get composure. Yes. I'm just picturing a pair of spectacles and a camera. Meanwhile, there's, you know, like a, a dragon picking his teeth with your femur. Um, I think I've discovered, by the way, where they went awry. It's in calling it a park. I think that may be uh, that may be the weak link in the informational chain. What should we call it? Uh, I don't know. How about a death zone? Well, maybe because there are picnic tables there. Kill to serve man. Kill trap. Uh, uh, blood patch. No, no, no. Let's call it a park. It's hard to see how everything went wrong, huh? It is the Rick Emerson Show. Steve Kastenbaum will be joining us uh, just uh, just here in a few minutes from. 
Fargo, North Dakota, still to come the top five year chance at Guitar Hero Metallica. It's Rock 101 KU. No, I'm that's, totally. That's, I'm, we're on the same page there, Tim. Toasted is better. If you're going to have a torpedo, you might as well toast it. Coming up later on, Penis Watch. I'm kind of keeping track of which watches we have yet to do uh, here in the uh, new slot on the KUFO. So uh, we've done the Penis Watch, Religious Nutcase Watch, Britney. We haven't done a Britney Watch, actually. We haven't. Uh, let's have see. here. Really? Yeah. Uh, Is anyone else just totally freezing in here right no, now? No, I actually just took off my sweater because I was hot. Oh, man. I'm so cold. So cold. So, so cold. very cold. All right. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Also to come today, your chance of winning guitar hero Metallica. We'll also uh, talk to Dorothy Casaseri from the National Enquirer. And we will speak with Michael McKeon, who alongside Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer will be here April 19th, uh, performing hit songs by the folks in Spinal Tap and others. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, on location in Fargo, North Dakota. Assignment there, seeing a radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you? I'm uh, I'm fantastic. So it's it's March, so I don't really know what the weather's like there, uh, apart from wet apparently. But you and I were talking uh, yesterday about Fargo, and you'd asked if I'd been there, and I think expecting that I hadn't. And I told you it was actually one of the one of the cities that I have I have uh, been to in my life. And is it all that you expected, sir? Oh, don't you know? Yeah. You shouldn't. You, should, <laughs> you, you start should. talking like people the second you get off the plane here. I'm, I'm sure that's not going to get you punched in the face at some point. If I were you, I'd talk to everybody there that way. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just sure. call random people at the hotel and just speak to them in that voice uh, until they beat you with a stick. <laughs> I realized as soon as I got off the flight, though, uh, people were talking like that. Uh, it's not just like the movie. There, it's, It really is uh, that way. But, um, you know, it snowed here overnight, believe it or not. So, uh you know, I got off the plane, it was raining and sleeting, and then it snowed. And, you know, uh, most rivers flow north to south. The Red River flows south to north. So that's why we've got all this flooding, because further north, you know, it's still freezing, and there's uh, ice on the river, and, and the river sort of flattens out, so there's nowhere for all the water to go as it melts uh, further south here with the warmer temperatures. So they're a little bit happy that the temperature dropped overnight because that means the ice melt uh, slows down and they can continue to build up the top of the dikes here. But uh, later in the week, you know, the temperatures will warm up again and all of that snow that's on the ground now will melt and, and the Red River will swell even we, further. We uh, got a listener. We have a listener in uh, Bismarck who called us. Last hour, and he was talking about this, and he was actually he was making that observation about how the, the rivers flow. Uh, there's two rivers, I think, that flow south and north, and that's one of them. And that I guess so. Tim, you said they were going to be dynamiting, <coughs> pardon me, dynamiting something or other with a helicopter. Yeah, some iceberg or something that's floating down a river. So is that the, I guess Bozeman? I believe it's, it's like not, a, it's not Fargo. I think it's Bozeman. It's like a blockage or something. They're going to be using yeah. a helicopter to blow it up. It's an ice dam. Which is and is that like a naturally that's a naturally occurring thing that I guess is that's the reason that the water so the water tries to flow there and then the ice blocks it so it then spills over and rolls back or, or something I guess pretty right? much you know like chunks of ice that have broken away uh, and and the melting ice you know reaches a point in the river where the it can't get through and there may be more ice on the river or maybe there's a bridge and the ice starts to build up and then the water just backs up behind it, and it can get, get to be really dangerous. So they're going to, yeah, use some dynamite to blast that away. And so here's a question. We were talking about this two million sandbag thing that they're trying to put together. I understand what a sandbag is. It's a bag filled with sand, yes. So my question is, 
from where does the sand come? Like, is there? Do they have to bring in sand from oh, like yeah. another state? Where Where do you get the sand? They're trucking it in. Contractors are uh, trucking it in around the clock from, uh, I guess, uh, different sand pits, quarries around uh, around the state. And so they they bring it in a big truck, and then it's just like this sort of line of the guys packing it into a bag and then stacking it somewhere. Pretty impressive at, at the Fargo Dome. Have you ever been to the Fargo no. Dome? No, I haven't. I'm. What happens there? Do you suppose other than you know huddled masses yearning to escape the water? What, the what, Dome what, is, what takes uh, the, place at the Fargo Dome? It is the center of the one of two major sandbagging operations right now, and they've filled over a million uh, sandbags here so far, and they hope to fill a million more before the river, the Red River crests, either late Friday or early Saturday. Is everybody there doing a lot of heavy drinking or perhaps planning on it once this is done? You know, when I checked into my hotel, uh, the woman behind the desk didn't seem the least bit concerned. She she said, "Oh yeah, we're safe." Now, see, there you go. That's the uh, that's the drunkenness kicking in, Steve. So, oh, if okay. I were you, I'd try to get your blood alcohol up to like maybe 0.05 or something, right? You know, just not, you know, something that you know you can be functional with, uh, but enough to sort of ingratiate yourself with the locals. That would just be my my read on it. I've ingratiated myself with the locals with the rental vehicle that I have right now, which is well, CNN uh, in uh, all of its wisdom says that uh, we all must use four by fours when we're covering uh, disasters like this. You know potential disasters, uh, hurricanes, floods, that sort of thing. So I am driving in a Suburban. Have you ever been in one of those things? Not since I was in, God, like maybe 7th or 8th grade, and I remember even then it was the size of a barn. I can't tell what state the rear of the truck is in. <laughs> it's, the thing, it's like when Tim and I, Tim Riley and I went to Seattle at one point for this ill-advised uh, remote broadcast, and we were at a, another uh, radio company, and I think they just, didn't they give you a Lincoln Navigator, Tim? Yeah, it was huge. It was a fine automobile, but I mean, it's like it's, it's way more truck than we needed. I mean, it was just it was it was it, it was unbelievable. It was like you were getting into the Starship Enterprise or something. I mean, it's like you couldn't you got out and you couldn't even. It was like when I was a kid and I would get in my parents' four poster bed and I was afraid to, to get off and to get back onto the floor because I was I was just terrified that the drop was going to break my ankles. All right, well, Rick, Rick the thing seats eight people. I'm one person. <laughs> Yes, but your but all of your uh, all of your news expertise takes up the remaining space. Sir. Oh, thank you. You're too kind. All right, that's what I do. All right. Well, uh, stay dry, stay safe, and uh, we will uh, we will speak with you soon, my friend. Okay. Speak all right. To you soon. Steve Kastenbaum. Oh, I should have told him to go to that uh, the Roger Maris uh, Hall of Fame, which is in a strip mall, which I think doesn't open until nine. So you just have to look in the frosty window of it. <laughs> this email says, Rick, my morning is so carefully orchestrated that I have timed it down to a few minutes. Funny, I just found three minutes to waste as I sang along to the top of my lungs and danced to the entire Queen song. Uh, best show ever, Jenny. Well, I'm glad we could help. Uh, Tim Riley is working on the following stories this Wednesday morning. And I have a barrel of them here. The exotic pet ban passes the state senate. Laid-off workers can attend community college for free. But you have to go to Klamath Falls. And it's not even... I was going to say not even a real college. That's not how I mean to put it. But it's like it's a community college, which is that is a sort of preparatory preparatory school, I would imagine. That's a, it's a good way to to get rid of your first credits cheap before you transfer to someplace else. Right. So in other words, that yeah. So you're kind of it is the overture to perhaps it's going to a uh, grade. Yes. Uh, because you know, there's a lot of like prerequisites where you got to exactly. If you, if you want to go to PSU, then you get. To, Get rid of the bottom classes first, and that's the cheap way to do it. You know, I've never really understood that. That is, I mean, I, I didn't attend university, so I'm just looking at this from an outsider perspective. But I don't understand why that is. In other words, if you're going to be going to a, a college that you are paying tuition for, like you're mm -hmm. going to be going to whatever, WSU or 
some other, you know, whatever, some institution of higher learning where you're paying. In other words, it's not like a, it's not a it's not like a public school where we're all paying for your for your ass to go be educated. If you're paying for it yourself, why why do you have to take prereqs? I mean, like just take the class. If you pass, you pass. If you don't, that's you. That's on you. It seems like you ought to be able to just say, no, I already know this, and here's my money. Give me, give me the class. Well, you're you, required you, to take it's, it's, it's ridiculous. You can in some colleges if they have – there's one college that you can do that with, but not all of them. Private colleges, you can. Not necessarily a public college. Like a state college or a community yeah, college, I'm, you can't. It seems like you ought to be able to skip the prerequisites if you want to, but if you fall behind, like it's your own problem. You, you can at a private college, but, but not the state college and the community colleges. That angers me, Tim. It's one of those things that angers me but that you, will never you, affect you, me in any way. Then you pay extra to go to a private college. But private colleges are more expensive. Your typical college student has like $100,000 in debt by the time they graduate. Yes, but it gives me the chance to be even snootier. So Good maybe I'll you. go to a private college someday just for the smug factor. And because I want to wear a thing with a... I like one-on-one smugness. You want a crest? I want a crest. <laughs> just I want to wear a thing that has a family shield or something on it. It is the Rick Emerson Show. Still to come, we'll have uh, your chance to win uh, Guitar Hero Metallica and Tim Riley at the news desk in mere moments. It's Rock 101 KUF. And we're back. Hello. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Are those tiny fists of rage, Sarah Dillon? They are. I just noticed how small my fists were. Oh, boy. How would you say the last nine minutes are going for you? <laughs> On a scale of one to one. At the news desk, please pay heed to your new savior. He's Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Breaking Octo news. Apparently, Gloria Allred is now saying mean things about the Octo Mom on the uh, CBS Early Morning News. It's hard to imagine Gloria Allred saying mean things about anybody, Tim. <laughs> I know. She so... seems so shy and retiring. Let's hear what she has to say. She be succeeding, Harry, if she rarely comes in to even feed the babies, except when the cameras are rolling, or doesn't change them and, and burp them and love them and bond with them and mm-hmm. bathe them. Jeff, instead is this, going is this out true? shopping. Is and this... apparently Nadia does not understand that a nurse is a, a, She's a, mad. a legally wow. mandated reporter. That is, a nurse is required by law, Harry, to report to the authorities, the Child Protective Services, if they believe a baby or a child in their care is in danger at risk of harm, neglected. They have to report that. The dragon lady. Jesus, God help you if those lasers are ever trained on you. I, I mean, to be fair, she's only got two She'll nipples. She'll you in the park. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I totally went the nipple way and you went the dragon way. Well done. I can't get over the fact that Sharon Stone's uh, the husband had his foot... Uh, I mean, how would that even, how would that even happen? Is this like some? I was we, I was talking to Patty during about it during the break. It's sort of like in Creep Show, where uh, where uh, what's his name? Where Hal Holbrook is trying to get Adrian Barbeau to get in the crate or whatever. It's like he's trying to get Sharon Stone like out of his life. Uh, go look over there. Get on the other side of the fence, and then the dragon kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, Gloria Allred seems to be uh, she seems to be very broken in some way. I think there's a I think there's some sort of an incident in her past. You know, like this is the moment in the uh, Oliver Stone film Nixon, where the Sometimes screen goes all I don't wonky. Think she's and... telling the truth. <laughs> you, do you think that occasionally she has a disproportionate response to things, Tim? I believe so. Yeah. God Almighty! I mean, she's just relentless. Mm-hmm. She's like uh, to go back to the shark analogy from yesterday. It's like an Hooper is talking about, and all this machine does is swim and eat and make little sharks, and that's all. And it's like all Gloria Allred does is just sort of swim and eat and destroy, and that's it. There really is no, uh, there's no backup plan for her. All right, here's Tim Riley. 
A measure to ban private possession of certain exotic animals as pets has won the Oregon Senate's approval. This includes uh, wild animals, including alligators, crocodiles, monkeys, lions, tigers, and bears. I'm not no making, mention of Komodo dragons. And I'm not making the <laughs> obvious joke. Because it, it was written that way, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it, was, it was written for a person of lesser wit, Tim, than myself, than I, you, than I, Sarah. I, We're not going to make those. Uh... Well, they're having problems with the uh, new West Max trains. Actually, it's TriMet trains. These trains go between Wilsonville and uh, Beaverton. They're designed to take commuters to work every morning. Uh, they're only taking like 1,200 riders every day, and they're supposed to be taking close to 5,000. What's the problem? People have no jobs to go to. So maybe I'll go to the Intel plant. At, oh, no, I guess not. Maybe I'll go to Sun Microsystems. No. Maybe I'll go to Yahoo. No, maybe I'll just go nowhere. This is like the, hey, is the thing from Clackamas to Portland working yet? I mean, not that anything from Clackamas actually works as, you know, like I don't in think so, sort not of yet. strictest sense. But, yeah. I mean, theoretically speaking... I have. I try to avoid. Can I just tell you this? Have you uh, have you just become uh, habituated to avoiding whole sections of downtown? That construction could have been done six months ago, for all I know. But this is a whole swaths of downtown Portland that I just don't go to anymore because I've just sort of I sort of operate under the assumption that they're not going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, streets are all uh, jacked up and everything sort of roped off, and you can't get anywhere. Who so, wants to make sixty-eight dollars? Me. All Me. Right. Well, they need two thousand extras. For this new uh, Harrison Ford, Brandon Fraser movie, it's shooting in the state next month. It is called The Untitled Crowley Project. It is based on the story of John Crowley, a father who risks his family's future to pursue a cure for his children's life-threatening disease. So uh, they're looking for extras. They'll pay you 68 uh, bucks a day. The casting call is happening Saturday the 29th at the Lloyd Center Doubletree Hotel between 11 and 4. Bring your vehicle to the casting so it can be photographed and possibly used in the film. My vehicle was used in a, a film not too long ago. Was your uh, Volvo featured in a Jennifer Aniston film? It was, right in front of the diner. Excellent. Which <laughs> diner? It's in a really run-down Aloha shopping strip mall. <laughs> Tim, did you ever see that movie that we were both extras in? Uh, I Spirit heard we, of the Music. Is the Music heart? Within or I something? I heard we weren't shown. It was at the oh, Braun Livingston uh, thing. Is that the, is that the movie? Yeah. yeah. Did you guys go out there? Did you have to dress as hippie protesters or something? I was such? a hippie protester, but Tim had like a lot of screen time. Weren't you in a cafeteria next to him or something? I guess so, but I didn't see myself. But I never saw the movie. I, I never saw the I movie. I heard from reliable sources that I was cut out. Really? I'm that, not going you, to did it actually come out? <laughs> is this is it like having a food taster where uh-huh. you have somebody who watches all of the films exactly. to, uh, to let you know if, you're, if your face actually appeared? Uh-huh. Uh, no, I had to protest all all day and like wearing these horrible like 70s clothes. Did you see Ron Livingston? Yes. Oh really? Yes, and I um. What yeah, does he, he look like in person? He's like to be weird looking. He does on He's the TV. bulbous and weird looking. Like I thought he was really hot because he plays uh, Jack Berger in uh, Sex in the City. He's bulbous. He looked bulbous. He looked like a walking like caricature of himself. He kind of looked like um. Who am I thinking? From Family Guy. Who's the giggity giggity? Oh, yeah, no, uh, uh, a Quagmire. Yeah, he looks I can like totally Quagmire. see that. Because yeah. his, his head was oversized and his body was really small. I can see that, and it's like his, it seems like his chin probably juts out at a weird It I mean, did. His chin was huge. His nose was like a lot bigger than it looks on screen. Yeah. He seems, it's like where the camera adds 10 pounds, but at the same time, it smooths out a lot of your, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of your weirdness. Uh, you see people, uh, and Ron Livingston is just one example. There's people you see in person. You know, off the screen, and a lot of times, like uh, uh, what's her name, um, Katie Sackhoff from Battlestar Galactica, was actually even more attractive in person. I mean, realize she was even more beautiful. But then you see a guy like that, and it's just, it's like, it's all bad. He mm-hmm. looks, like, he looks like one of those office stress toys that somebody's just he squeezed did. and they've just sort of left it squoze. And he was really short. Yeah, he's a diminutive man, I think. Yeah. What did uh, you think of him, Tim? Because you were, pr- you were close to him. You right? sat right next to, you sat at his elbow for the whole morning. I did. 
I was sitting on the next table over. Yeah. Do you think he looks So weird? my elbow was shown in that movie on several <gasps> occasions. Don't you think that Lucky. they ought to make some service, though, where if you're an extra, they'll just sell you the footage that you were in? Like, I don't understand why that seems like that's a money-making... Uh, that a would mo- be great. Because then you could put it on your demo reel. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, here's me sitting next to Ron Livingston. Like, nobody needs to know that you know, that wasn't actually in the movie. Maybe it's on the director's cut. That could be. There you go. There's Tim Riley at the news desk. Did anybody watch the obnoxious uh, press conference last night? No, but I understand that... reporters? I, uh, I heard that two things. One, I heard that the reporters were just being jackasses. Oh, they were. It's like, it's all about me. I'm going to make this president look like an ass. Well, the opposite turned out to be true. <laughs> I don't think he... Obama seems like he's got the presidential jujitsu going on, where you go after him and he just turns that energy against you and you are pwned. But what happened was everybody wanted to do the Mike Wallace, but everybody failed. Well, they all, yeah, that's the thing. They've grown up in the shadow of, God, do you want to talk about just some people who've done irreparable damage to the image of the media? That's Woodward and Bernstein and Sam Donaldson. Mm-hmm. Sam Donaldson would just sit there in the White House lawn like a like a jackass, just screaming at, at Ronald Reagan. As he, do you remember when Ronald Reagan called him a son of a bitch? Yeah, that was fantastic. That you you, man, you don't get that anymore. Man, I think Obama could get away with it. I think he's probably got two or three you son of a bitches in him before the uh, before the Teflon would wear away. Do you remember? Um, do you remember? Was it Atwater? No, it wasn't Lee Atwater. That was his. Uh, th- that was the campaign director. Who was the press secretary for Reagan that had to explain away the "you son of a bitch" comment? I can't remember. I can, Marlon Fitzwater. Um, so Sam Donaldson is on the White House lawn, and Reagan is getting on that whatever the, the Marine One, the helicopter thing, mm-hmm. the thing that Nixon got on with the P, the peace sign, and. Donaldson, of course, Mr. President, one more question. Look at my eyebrows. And was just screaming with this like, insanity at him. And I understand that our elected leaders are there to be scrutinized, and the fourth estate is the firewall between us and corruption. But, you know, there's such a thing as decorum and not screwing with the guy. And Donaldson just went after him like just like he was like he was made out of beef. And finally, Reagan just said, I think Reagan just said, like, shut up, you son of a bitch, which is great <laughs> when you consider that, that, like, he's the president. And Marlon Fitzwater had to get on camera with a straight face and go, now, he, he did not, in fact, call Sam Donaldson a son oh, of a yeah, bitch. Oh, it yeah, it's like, my suit fits or something no, like that. He, he, the explanation was that Reagan, quote, said, it's sunny outside and you're rich. And then Fitzwater just had to look right in the camera with that lie. So uh, what happened yesterday? So the said Henry guy tries to jam three hostile questions to the uh, president. And uh, one was why he waited so long to go before the American public about, you know, uh, explaining AIG. So the uh, president summed it up in a few choice words. It took us a couple of days because I like to know what I'm talking about before I speak. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Okay, Ed Henry, why don't you go try to perform as a man after that beatdown, huh? Jesus. So then we have uh, Chuck Todd of NBC. And this guy was crazy. Apparently, he has no idea what's going on in the outside world. Oh, no. Chuck Todd's nuts. He's, he seems like a guy who ought to be like in like a trailer in Montana with a bunch of guys who call him leader. So, so he's trying to ask Obama, why aren't you asking Americans to make more sacrifices? And it's like, are you not aware of what's going on in this world? <laughs> Folks are sacrificing left and right. I mean, you've got a lot of parents who are cutting back on everything to make sure that their kids can still go to college. So then you have this guy named Major Garrett. Who names their kid Major? Uh, He's from Fox News. And he was uh, asking an economic question, spicing it up with words like communist and socialist. (laughs) And he was asked about the Chinese plan to do away with the uh, dollar and come up with some new currency that the Chinese, the red Chinese, who are communists, would be in charge of. We don't want a situation in which some countries are making extraordinary efforts and other countries aren't with the hope that somehow the countries that are making uh, those important steps lift everybody up. 
Boy, he's just a Jedi. He really. I I wonder that if Obama does seem to have that that thing where when he speaks. People judge you by the words you use, and the words you use tell them about your background, even your intelligence. Uh, when Barack Obama talks, though, he does this masterful thing. Maybe I'm just see. Maybe I'm like a Kool Aid drinker here because I hear a lot of this. Uh, I hear a lot of this that maybe uh, maybe it's just all in my head. But when Obama talks, it's like he magically lays between the lines somehow. Just this. Look, I'm Barack Obama. And you're just some jackass reporter who no one cares about. And I'm going to beat you down now in public in front of your family and everyone. And you will be left bloodied and broken. And you are a fool to have tried to corner me on anything. So suck on that. And I mean, he just, and it's all, but he doesn't say that. It's just right there. It's it's just something in his delivery where you can tell that he knows that at the, for the moment he is impervious. That he is, he cannot be touched. And he's aware that he is still in just this, he is in this bulletproof bubble right now. And then anybody who just tries to get up in his, his face, he's just gonna he's gonna smack him around, just like that Chuck Todd guy. Chuck Todd, by the way, the the, the uh, second reporter you played, mm-hmm. he looks exactly like you'd imagine him to look, which is one of those guys, like one of those Dale Gribble guys that you would see in a courtroom screaming about how like the gold fringe flag I have, has no authority, I, the, the Constitution is invalid, income tax is illegal, you know, as they're like taking him away and tasering him in the hallway, which would be fantastically satisfying, by the way. Yeah, that's so that was that. It was an embarrassment to everyone who asked a question last night. <laughs> I, by the way, just my final thought is as we uh, as we wrap that section up, I will say that I got an email from a listener last night mm-hmm. who wanted me to ask uh, Lisa Desjardins from CNN, who I, I don't think we'll be speaking with today. But oh, no. um, but they're like, if you talk to Lisa, um, ask uh, the question was something like, ask her how long it took Ed Henry to go find his junk. You know, once it was put in the you know Barack Obama's side pocket. After that uh, press conference. Fantastic. It was really something. Excellent. Well done. It now is, we know who the boss is. I, I think that's been made abundantly clear to everybody. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. No, that's totally right. That is so close. All right. Just, here's something that just happened during the break. You hear this sound? That's a jar of marshmallow fluff. An empty one. Tim, explain to the people what marshmallow fluff is. It's hard to describe. It, it, you eat it with peanut butter. So it's like a part. spreadable, like marshmallow kind of. Yeah. It's like um. It's it's like if you put marshmallows in the microwave. Exactly. Put, the, 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 the jar. That's so it's not liquid marshmallow, but it is like a sort of gooey, spreadable marshmallow that one spreads on, for example, sandwiches to make fluffernutters. Yes. Ah, see, look at me. I only know that. Fluffernutter. It. I only. Fluff. Stuff in peanut butter. Fluff or another, by the way, sounds incredibly uh, sounds incredibly edgy. There used to be a jingle for that too. For the fluff or another, mm-hmm. I demand that somebody find me the fluff or another jingle. I remember that <laughs> as a kid. That's uh, that's quite fluff or another. I barely knew her. You okay. need to have enough for another fluff or another. Da 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 da. I only know what a fluff or another is because Christopher Moltisanti and the Sopranos talked about them at one point. But so we have this jar of of marshmallow fluff again, which is just it's it's like a gooey, spreadable marshmallow substance. And somebody dropped it off, I think, because Tim was talking about having it as a child, uh, just like you were talking about moxie. And so we have that bottle of moxie that's sitting in the corner of the studio. So the, the marshmallow fluff has just been kind of sitting here, you know, it's like a decoration. And it wasn't like supposed to be eaten. I think it was, I, we thought it was sealed this whole time. So just now, let me put this back. So just now I was like looking at the marshmallow fluff and I noticed that, it, you know, like it was no longer a, a solid white color inside. It wasn't consistent. And it was like I thought, well, I could see into that. It's almost like the inside of the jar has been sort fluff of scraped out. Jingles. No, I opened the the, the uh, jar of marshmallow fluff. It's been eaten. 
It's been eaten, and then someone left it in the studio. And you said, by the way, that it's supposed to be refrigerated. Mm-hmm. I got the feeling, just from looking at it, it's sort of like the rings in a tree that it was consumed piecemeal. So some poor soul came in here and ate the marshmallow fluff, not all of it, just enough to make a dent, then like put the jar back, the lid back on, and then left it in the studio, and then ate the rest of it at some other time. I have to tell you, as a, as a former Radio Weekender many, many, many years ago, I have eaten some vile things. It was never a jar of marshmallow fluff. I remember getting so hungry one time on a weekend overnight shift uh, back when I was at a, uh, I was at a country station, I think. And it was like 3 in the morning. And it's like that weird, and Tim, you've done this. You're working at a radio station, and it's like time just stops at around 3.15, 4.15, something like that. You know, because the first two hours, you're like, hey, I'm on the air, and I just have my coffee, and I'm taking requests, and I'm playing songs, and I'm glad to be here working in the golden medium of radio. And then you begin to see things like, I guess the story about the ghosts is true. <laughs> or you just, or the request lines stop ringing at around 3.30 because everybody's gone to bed, you know, and the only people call, it's like wrong numbers and drunks are the only folks calling you, and all the hot girls have, uh, you know, they, they've, you know, they've, uh, they've all uh, gone to sleep for the night. And so you were just there and alone uh, in a room with a bunch of Hank Williams Jr. records, just weeping silently to yourself. I remember just getting uh, ravenously hungry at some point on an overnight shift. And so I went upstairs. I put on a long record, and I was sort of rooting around, like not like in people's desks, but just like, you know, like like you're looking in the fridge, and you're like seeing what's left over in the freezer that has been there long enough that the person who put it there has probably been fired. And so they're not going to be coming back for it. And you can start to, and you know that if you work in a workplace, you do this. If you work in a place that has a fridge, you will keep, even if you don't know you're doing it, a kind of a mental inventory, a snapshot of what's in the communal refrigerator. And everybody does understand that there there comes this event horizon when that food becomes community property because it's been there for like six months. And there still is, like now, like for example, somebody bought a giant bag of string cheese and it's been in there for like two months. I feel perfectly comfortable helping myself to a string cheese at do this you? point. Yeah. Now, was that that string cheese that tasted all vile and like lead? No, that was one that I that I had purchased individually. All right. All right. So I guess either maybe the, the marshmallow fluff has been sitting in the studio long enough and we weren't eating but it. But who so. would eat that? I mean, does it look like it was scooped out with fingers or does it look like it was scooped out with like a spoon with or a, some, a cracker? <laughs> like it was like the long serpentine. A dragon-like tongue. I was going to say the serpentine tongue of a weekender. I'm just so sad for whoever's sitting in here licking a cat, you know a jar of marshmallow fluff. Hold on, I have to I have to power up between disturbed songs. Okay, uh, but uh, but I remember prowling around the radio station. This is uh, I don't know, probably 20 years ago or something, looking for food, and I found this like maybe a third of a roll of Lifesavers, and it was like not even the wrapper, just the foil part. It was just like a bunch of linty Lifesavers, maybe four of them, and I found it down behind some sofa cushions, and I think I was oh. looking. <laughs> and, and to skip to the end of the page, yes, I ate them, but I. I think I was looking for spare change, and I should have known that there was going to be no spare change because all the other DJs, you know, like the guy in the laugh shift was probably doing that. He passed on the lifesavers, not me. Let me ask you this right now to the room. Has anybody here ever eaten anything out of the back of your car that, like, you find on the floor or maybe in the back seat? Like, maybe a hamburger that you bought oh, at a drive through place and you never ate? So gross. No, I mean, like, maybe oh, a granola but, bar. See, you're the only thing in the back seat I've been to your house, by the way. I, you're not allowed to label me <gasps> No, as being... you went to my house, like, a week ago, and it was pretty clean. Were you eating things out of her sofa? 
No. Yeah, oh. were you rooting around in the back of my car? <laughs> no, no, not that you know of. Your house How was relatively... the only car that had the mouse? That would have been gross. Oh, God. I'm just saying, Sarah and I do share some traits, and one of those is maybe a postponing of certain household chores, Seriously, like cleaning. Seriously, like, I could not live without my dishwasher. Didn't I, what do you dishwasher? Didn't you just tell me the other day that you own one plate? What are you washing? My plate. <laughs> Please tell me that you just put your clothes in the dishwasher. <laughs> no, I I have utensils and... So, okay, fine. I eat off paper plates. Did you buy a brand new package of paper plates I the did. other day? I did. Were they and the fancy kind? They're the fancy kind and the super thick kind. Because I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to splurge on this a little. Good so I wash, my, I, I wash cups and I wash utensils and, like, pans. So you have pans? one... You have one Pantle. plate. <laughs> yes. I have washed clothes in the dishwasher, by the way. You have? I have. Uh, it, I'm not like now. I mean, I'm an adult, but I mean, uh, you know, I would never do anything ridiculous now that I'm a grown well, man. Well, your wife is away? <laughs> no, but there, I, there was a time uh, when I was renting a room from somebody. Uh, this is years and years ago. And for some insane reason, she had a dishwasher, but not, I mean, I guess washing machines more expensive. Uh, or, or is it? I don't know. But she had a dishwasher, but no washing machine. And I think there was like, you know, and it was like a laundromat that was a block away, but... Going to the laundromat is sometimes, but sometimes it's an interesting experience. Like it's sort of an interesting parade of humanity, where you can. It's sort of like being at. Uh, it's like being at an Ellis Island, uh, but with no luggage and no teeth, and like a, the stench of tide and failure everywhere. But I didn't want to go to the laundromat, but I had something that I don't know. It was like. It was like socks or something, and I was like, I had to have a pair of clean socks because they'd just gotten all scrunched up, and so I just put them in the uh, in in the, in the dishwasher. And you know what? It was fine. They uh, it was all, it, but I had to set them out to dry. Have you ever delayed doing laundry um, like so long that you'll just go to the store and buy new socks instead of doing it? Yes, yes, I have. Uh, I'll do that with um, like undershirts, like a V-neck shirt that's going to go underneath a button-up shirt or something. I will totally do that. Because it is because it gets all gross and vile, and you're like, ah, I, just, I can't be wearing these. And so I just go to the store, just like I would go to Value Village, and I would buy a brand new set of dishes rather than, and I would just throw away the dishes that I'd purchased before. When I moved out of my last apartment, I threw all my dishes away. See. <laughs> Because they were so gross. <laughs> because I didn't have a dishwasher and like things were growing in them. I'm like, ah, uh, you know what? I'm I'm ready to. When things are growing in them, it's time to throw them away. Which is why I only have one plate. And the best part of this, by the way, is that nowhere in this equation does it occur to either of us to just wash things by hand because no that's way. for savages. No, that takes way too long. Tim, what are your thoughts when you hear uh, Sarah and I talking about, for example, <laughs> the last time we moved, just throwing dishes away? Well, I'm mildly amused. There you go. Have I don't you, hold it against you. Have Mark. you ever put dirty dishes in the oven when people are coming over? Yes. Excellent. Yes. Well, um, you're talking to a girl who has a kitchen full of shoes and sweaters. Yeah. So I guess I mean, maybe the rules are a little more elastic uh, in your place. How do we get off into the subject of... I don't know, but it is interesting. Marshmallow fluff, dishes... I maybe have, we're all weekenders inside. <laughs> well, I mean, look, you could, you, there's a part of that you just can't leave behind. Uh, I don't even... Oh, you were know. talking about what you would eat out of the studio. Oh, yeah. So, I mean... Um, but I I ate these lifesavers. Oh, and then I ate something out of the back of my car once. This is a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago, which I guess isn't that long. Um, but I had gone through a drive-thru at one point, and I purchased multiple items, as is my want, because I'm an American. So, you know, why buy just for now? Why not buy the next five meals while you're there? And I said, I'll take uh, five filet fish sandwich, please, please, or whatever, you know, just like whatever. And the guy hands me the bag of stuff, and I eat however money, and I kind of fold the bag over, and I do that patented guy move of just tossing it over my shoulder like it was salt into the back seat. And it must have been, I don't know, a few days later that I think I was driving around and I was turned around to find a map or something out of the back and I saw this McDonald's bag. And then you instantly have that whole thing in your head with, you know, the devil and the, and the, the angel on different shoulders. You're like, nobody's here. 
Yeah, but you'll know. Yeah, but who cares? You know you're <laughs> disgusting. Uh, but I don't know. It's probably gone bad. That was fried. It's just bread. Yeah, but there's mayonnaise on there. Yeah, but it's already been there for a couple of days, so it's gotten as bad as it's going to get. It's not like it's going to get any worse. It doesn't smell bad. No, it smells fine. Well, it smells the most powerful sense. You'd know if it had gone bad. What's the worst that could happen? So you have a, you know, so you have, so you feel a little choppy inside for a while. That's a dollar and fifteen cent worth of fillet of fish. You don't want to like it. Let that go. Oh God, fish. Too? You know, and uh, and then the next thing you know, how long was that fish in the bag? Like like maybe four days. Oh, catch of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh, sort of skip to the end of the movie where I'm then my own personal Dr. Zoidberg of just, you know, it's the Rick Emerson show on Rock 101, KUFO. Now I'm getting emails like this one. Rick, I just washed a transmission in my dishwasher. Well done, sir. Rick Emerson show is proud of you. It is Rock 101 KUFO. It's 503-733-2970. Later this hour, Michael McKeon, who alongside Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer, will be at the Keller April 19th for the Unplugged, Unwigged Tour. Um, we're doing uh, stuff from A Mighty Wind, and this is Spinal Tap, and so forth. So we'll talk to Michael McKeon later this hour. Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer on the way. And we'll do today's uh, Top 5. The Top 5 Television Closing Credits Theme Songs. Before I forget about it, so Dorothy Carcassari from the Inquirer will join us. Uh, we already revealed Octomom was a stripper. That's one of the uh, headlines. And OJ's girlfriend is pregnant. By the way, Ugh. the idea that OJ has a girlfriend, I think, should be an inspiration to everybody. I mean, if he's sitting sad at home, alone, unloved, unwanted. Look, if OJ can get a girlfriend, you can probably get a girlfriend. I mean, as, uh, as the Mr. T experience once said, even Hitler had a girlfriend. Why can't I? Uh, final thing. I wonder if I should reveal this. Someone is pregnant. Who do you think it is? Sarah? Tim? Anyone? Britney Spears. Yes. What? Why did, why did you do that? Why? No, I was just Joe. I was doing the most far-fetched thing. What? You no. Know, you know, you're never any good at 20 questions, and then the one time I want to elongate it, you're like right for the kill. By whom? How is she pregnant? The old-fashioned How way. is she pregnant? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it has to do with her vagina. <laughs> I mean, who knows? I, mean, I guess. I'm assuming that's Wait, the case. Wait, what source is saying this? The, the National Enquirer. That just, must be true. The National Enquirer just, it's in the front. I can not I can only read uh, like the, the, the <laughs> actual headline and then the subheadline. I don't see the actual article here. I think you have to go buy that. It says, Britney's pregnancy secret, how she's hiding it, and who's the father? Hmm. So apparently the Enquirer is saying she's pregnant, but they don't know who the father is, I guess. So we'll find out. I, I don't mean to be intentionally sort of teasy about it. But all I know is what the Inquirer says on the website, which is the Britney pregnancy secret. I didn't mean secret. to, you know, kill your elongation of that No, it's story. fine. I mean, I, look, we were going to get to that point I anyway. I have no idea. Well, they claim she's pregnant again. Good for her. Oh. Well done. All right. Guts on the table any day now. That sounded wrong. We were talking about a C-section thing yesterday. It's a whole deal. Here's Tim Riley in the news desk. In the news with Tim Riley. A boy decided to play with matches and gasoline. With a very bad result, he caused $10,000 to his family's home. His leg caught on fire, so he ran into his kiddie pool, jumped in, put the fire out. The neighbors grabbed a garden hose and put out the fire on the side of the house. $10,000 in damage. How old is he? It doesn't say. But gasoline and matches do not mix. You're probably saying, maybe no, it's... No, no, but They do mix, Tim. That's the problem. They mix all too well. Well, maybe he deserves a good spanking. Well, people who are in the spanking business say it don't do any good. Parents should emphasize guidance over punishment. Secondly, parents should focus on the positives. Just little praises can really have a big impact on children. Thirdly, parents should be prepared. So that means telling children ahead of time the kind of behavior that we expect from them. 
No more matches in gasoline there, Junior. Where is the matches in gasoline story? Vancouver. Vancouver, Washington? Yes. Well oh. done, Vancouver, Washington. Way to represent. <laughs> you know, it, it's a good... Usually it's a sex offender story from Vancouver. Well, yeah, or a baby in a toilet yeah. story. I think every now and again, Vancouver feels threatened by Clackamas in that way, though. And they feel like somebody has to do something stupid or dangerous or possibly a combination of the above, two. Well done. Uh, this email says, hey, I have a friend whose parents refused to store open mayonnaise in the fridge. They always kept it in the pantry. You know that clear sheen that mayonnaise gets when it's left out for too long? They always had a nice one-inch layer in the jar. A layer they just... This is so gross. But I'm going to read it because I think... It's a morning show. And because we all need to... Yes, Tim, because it's because it's a morning show. I wish I had a clown horn just for comments like that. Uh, Let's see. No, that's not a clown horn. I'm going to read this so we can all suffer together. You know that clear sheen that mayonnaise gets when it's left out for too long? Yes, they always had a nice one-inch layer. They just swirled it into the rest of the mayo. Oh, come on. Oh. <laughs> he said, they claim to never get sick, but they also downed a bottle of vodka every other day. That does, uh, that does clean and cure everything, incidentally. Here's Tim Riley. Hey, remember the way that uh, Gloria Allred was gushing about the Octomom these past few weeks? Yes. Well, apparently things have changed, and she's gone on television to make her points known. How can she succeed if she is subjecting her babies to potential risk, if she doesn't even come into the nursery to feed her own babies, to hold them, to bathe them, to change them, to love them, to bond with them, except when the cameras are rolling? <sighs> I like how you can, that she's taking a break from eating uh, the foot of Sharon Stone's husband. Mm -hmm. I like how she's pounding the table, by the way, for emphasis. And also the fact that Gloria Allred ends has been this, lying for the past few weeks. And I'm, and I'm not saying that I, that I disagree with at least this latest stance that she's taken. But the idea that Gloria Allred, of all people, would wrap it up by saying, and she's only doing this when the cameras are on her. Look at me. I can't believe you don't look at me. You know, I mean, she's just... If you miss me, I'm heading over to ABC. I'll be there in five minutes. She seems to have this sort of... Um, I can't stay out of the limelight more than 20 minutes. She seems very much like the mother alien uh, from the second uh, Aliens film, the Geeker Where's my version. limo? Yeah, where she's... Where, you know, but, but it's like the... Um, it's like the scene after Ripley blows the mother alien out of the airlock, and it's just sort of flailing around in space like a cockroach. I get the feeling that Gloria Allred is always doing that while trying to keep her many tentacles hidden underneath her skirt or whatever it is that she's wearing. So, and to be fair, the Automom only has, to the best of our knowledge, two nipples. So it's not like you can be feeding all eight babies at once anyway. That's a, you know, you got kind of a, a rotating system for that. Here's Tim Riley. The Octo neighbors aren't pleased either. You really see it when you're trying to get out of the neighborhood and go down the, the street that runs along like her cul-de-sac and the traffic and the, the news trucks and I mean, sometimes it's just a mess. This is local busybody Edna Schlarp. <laughs> Abner? Every... <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, every Poor neighborhood... Allred's back. <laughs> every neighborhood has that Gladys Kravitz who just sits there and I'm going to call Bernard Shaw about this and let them know that I don't approve of the van parking on the curb like that. God Almighty. Ran over my begonias. <laughs> Here's Tim Riley. Time for a penis watch. Of course it is. Here's your penis watch uh, for Wednesday on the Rick Emerson radio Take program. Look at my enormous penis. And my troubles start a melting away. I take a look at my enormous penis. And everything is going my way. This comes to us from the UK. Where all good ideas start. Rory McGinnis did some of his own decorating at his family home by painting a 60-foot penis on the roof of his parents' <laughs> house. 
The pair is Andy and Claire. We're delighted here. We go when builders finished the new roof of their $2 million home, but Rory, who's 18, had just finished watching a documentary about Google Earth, which lets Internet users view satellite pictures and decided to make the property stand out. So he grabbed a can of white paint, climbed up on the roof where he spent a half an hour painting a giant penis on the roof. For the next year, only Rory knew about the giant manhood on the roof near Huntington Burks. But his secret was blown when a helicopter pilot spotted it and hovered so his passenger could take a picture. Andy, the father of the troublemaker, thought it was a joke when the British newspaper, The Sun, contacted him about the painting. He responded with, it's an April Fool's joke, right? There's no way there's a 60-foot penis on top of my house. <laughs> then he spoke to all four of his kids, demanding answers, and then telephoned Rory, who was traveling in Brazil. He burst out laughing, saying, oh, you found it then. <laughs> The giant picture is regarded as a massive uh, fertility symbol, and couples often have their uh, sex near pictures of this giant. <laughs> they have <laughs> their sex. Yeah. In hope of conceiving. Rory's mother, Claire, said, We don't want any more children, so the idea of sleeping under a giant fertility symbol is rather worrying. I don't know. Ever since uh, ever since we started sleeping under that massive penis, I find that I'm just not getting the rest that, uh, to which I've become accustomed. We don't want to lie in bed at night and hear couples above us. Are they hearing couples above them? Apparently so. When Rory gets home, he'll uh, be given a scrub brush. I love the idea and that... white spirit so he can scrub off the giant penis. <laughs> you get up there and scrub off that giant penis this instant. And wash your hair. Uh, I like the idea that in Britain, you can just sort of get away with anything, and then the parents go, it's sort of, it's, like, it's just sort of a playful hooliganism. He's just a scamp. And they're going to, you know, he's just going to be given a good, uh, a good whitewashing when he gets home. Do you have that story in front of you still? Did you already throw it away? I threw it away. All right. Okay. I just, uh, I'm going to file well, I, that. I keep things tidy around I'm, here. I'm going to file that under, uh, so they didn't know the penis was there for a long time. No. Until the secret was. Um, mm -hmm. For a year. Secret was revealed. Yes. There's your penis watch. For the, Take a uh, look at my morning of Wednesday, penis, March uh, my 25th, 2009. Michael McKeon of Spinal Tap fame next. The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Now, here's traffic. We have a crash. I-84 westbound of mile post 32.5. The right lane is closed. Also, a logging truck is tipped over, blocking traffic to the coast on Highway 26. Tim Riley with traffic on Route 101. Oh, Route 101. Rock 101. KUFO. Get your kicks on Route 101. Tim. I know. Here's a daft question. What's in butter? No, oh God, is this going to be another cheese conversation? It's not. No, oil? it's a butter conversation. The cheese conversation is about cheese. And you're saying oil, but I think that's margarine. Margarine. Butter comes from a cow. We really don't sound all that bright sometimes. It's hard to believe that they put us in charge of 100,000 watts here for four hours every Milk day. Milk and salt and yellow? See, but th that's my other thing. So why is it yellow? Butter is yellow now. Is that That's not a dye they add. That's I, a naturally I, I occurring thing. I think food coloring, just like margarine. Yeah, why didn't they make butter, butter? Like purple? Sure, why not butter? Well, why did they make it? But, I mean, why color it at all then? Why would you make butter yellow? Especially because in the early, if you figure that they've added food coloring to make butter yellow, and that's only operating under the assumption that they do, which I will let, you know, I'll let that go unchallenged for now because I don't know. It is frequently made from cow's milk. 
It can also be manufactured from sheep, goats, buffalo, and yaks. But I mean, it's but it's milk, right? So butter yeah. is made of milk and salt. salt. I believe there is salt in there. What mm-hmm. else? What are the other ingredients? Uh, let's see. Butter is an emulsion which remains a solid when refrigerating, but softer, softens to be spreadable. So it does come from a cow. It is generally a pale yellow. It varies from deep yellow to nearly white. The color is dependent on the animal's feed ah. and is commonly manipulated by food colorings in the commercial manufacturing process. Which is sort of course, depending on what you feed the oh, cow. Oh, I guess so. I, mean, I bet the coloring came from the fact that maybe if you are feeding the animal like grass or something, which maybe I don't know, maybe that's the most desirable thing, and that had a certain shade, and then they seek to emulate that shade in butters that are derived from animals who have different feeds. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is the sort of thing that, that just occupies my brain until I get it figured out. Okay, so then, but that leads to the question that Sarah brought up, which is, can butter go bad? And I don't know that it can. I would imagine so if you leave it out. It's supposed to be a refrigerator. Because I've seen people with, like, butter things, like, on their... See, my mom said, I don't, think we, I don't think we ever refrigerated uh, butter when I was a kid. But now that I think about it, maybe that wasn't butter. Maybe it was margarine. And then I ask the question, is margarine the same thing as oleo? Is, in fact, oleo just a brand of margarine, Tim? I believe so. These are all things I don't know the answer to. It's like that the question yesterday about the when a woman has the cesarean uh, section, uh, are her innards and whatnot taken and placed on a table next to her? And we got a guy who said that that was the dumbest thing he'd ever did. My daughter was just delivered via C-section. You all are scientific incompetence, which is, of course, completely true. It doesn't mean we're not occasionally right. I just have no, uh, I have no actual knowledge as to whether or not that's the process that takes place. So I'm just... I'm just speculating, sir. I don't really have any, uh, I don't claim to have any knowledge. It does lead to a question about video rodeo, though, uh, which I will get here in just one moment. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up in the next hour, we'll talk to Dorothy Carcassari, and we'll also do uh, today's top five, ladies and gentlemen, the top five television closing credit theme songs. I think that's the linguistic route we're going to take through that description. It is 503-733. 2970. We'd like to welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, coming to town alongside Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer for the Unplugged and Unwigged Tour, April 19th at the Keller, uh, the one and only Michael McKeon on the Rick Emerson Program. Hello, Hello. sir. How are you today? I'm good. Do I get to nominate the uh, uh, closing theme? Uh, for, yes, you absolutely you all done? No, no, no. It's, uh, it's coming up next hour. Go ahead. Okay. I would just like to suggest that the handbags and glad rags from the original uh, Ricky Gervais version of The Office. Well done for the win. Probably the probably the best. Now, see, and, that, and so you're there, you're there as a counterbalance to the guys who are all saying the Incredible Hulk theme, The Lonesome Man, is performed in 1978. <laughs> which don't get me wrong. Oh it, my God! It's a fantastic. Well, having never having never seen an episode of The Incredible Hulk, I, I, I'm totally in the dark. Uh, I'm sorry, don't don't discount it without investigation, sir. It is. It's, well, don't worry. Don't it, worry. I never do. Quite a magnum opus. Was there an episode of The Office in which uh, in which David Brent's character actually sang that song uh, in The Office? He was like that episode where he was singing. He had brought his guitar in. And oh was, my God! Wasn't that horrifying? And he was trying to cheer everybody up. And then and oh my God! I don't know whether he does. Does he do that song? And, they, and then yeah. it was he did something. Oh. And then he sang the no no free love on the free love freeway. Oh man! Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's a pretty remarkable sh- series. That, uh, that the, and I like the I like the American version as well. But there is something about it tiptoes. Ricky's version tiptoes so close to just I can't watch this. It is uh, cringe-inducing in the very yeah, best sense. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. My one final thought about uh, Ricky Gervais and his brilliance is that David Brent's character in the original Office also has that undercurrent of pathos that they never overplay. It never becomes cloying no. or manipulative, but it's no. you sense it. Well, it's. It's because he was he was he had two great delusions: one that he was funny, and two that he was beloved. 
and it made him so heartbreakingly sad. Um, You're right. If yeah, I were, if, it's, it's an amazing creation. And if I were a uh, if I were a zany DJ, uh, this would be the point where I say, "You sir, labor under no such delusion. You are in fact hilarious and much loved." <laughs> Um, you do that way too well. Yeah, well, it's yeah. I can I can see you I can see you doing that in front of the mirror. You know, talking into your sister's hairbrush. At no time did I ever do that ever. At, at all. all right, all right. I'm just saying I can see it. I'm not saying you did it. The, you uh, you guys are gonna be doing a whole lot of uh, stuff when you when you come while on this tour. It's it's Spinal Tap stuff. It's Break Like the Wind stuff. It's the it, it songs from Mighty Wind, and it's not not in character. It's uh, you know it's just you guys on stage, which is. Got to be something of a relief. Is it? Is it difficult? Difficult is the wrong word. Is it? Uh, is it exhausting after a while to sort of carry the persona with you if you're touring as that? Uh, somewhat. Um, whenever we've been on the road as uh, Spinal Tap, <clears throat> there's always a certain amount of press that we have to do uh, in wardrobe and in character, and and you know, and after a while, it's 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 pretty tough. Plus the fact that we have to play a 90 minute show right. with a lot of you know, explosions and running around and everything, and uh, and we're a gentleman of a certain age, after all, uh, the, the three of us. And uh, this is the, this is the one we're going to do for us, and uh, we we get to hopscotch between the different uh, the different personae, and uh, you know, we, we we like the idea. We've done this before. We've done this show before, or a version of this show before. And we always have a good time, and uh, and that's the idea. And everybody else does too. So win-win. When, do you share the assessment that uh, with the Spinal Tap stuff, for example, that the joke on some level actually improves with every passing year? That it is it is kind of age-proof. I would think. I think so. When we were making the film, um, which was released 25 years ago, actually, almost exactly, it was right here in the middle of March. Um, this, uh, we wanted to design something that would have a little shelf life that would be, you know, that would still work some years hence. And, uh, I think we got lucky in not having a very big budget. <laughs> so we didn't have, you know, so, so there are no, we didn't have a lot of exteriors, a lot of street scenes, a lot of, you know, we, there, I think there are very few automobiles actually seen in this, in this film. Um, so there's a sort of kind of a timeless quality, uh, we kind of, Dropped into the middle of the world, and uh, and we kind of stayed there. It, it's ageless, and uh, hopefully, it still still gets the laughs. It I, does. It seems to. I do have to ask. I was watching uh, some time back. There's a, a, a documentary about the the band Metallica that came out back in the '90s, uh, where it covers among other things them playing at the Freddie Mercury uh, tribute concert, and right. where Spinal Tap also played. And there's a, a moment where I I think you and character are talking to James Hetfield. And it is this sort of the world folding in on itself and reducing down to a singularity moment where you think, like, where where am I? What, what planet yeah. am I on? Did you guys – what was – how did it feel for you guys when Spinal Tap started being asked to play things like this? Is it treated as though it was an absolutely on-the-level band? Was it was – it, were you unsure at first that people were sort of extending an honest invitation? No, I, we we knew it was genuine, but we also knew that they understood that it was a gag and that it was, uh, you know, that, that we were, uh, 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 we were satirical in nature. Um, but we also they also understood, or else they wouldn't have invited us. They also understood that uh, there was a great deal of affection. You know, we are all, you know, Christopher and I are are. I'm 61. Chris has just turned 61. Harry's a little bit older. I won't tell you exactly how old, but we all grew up with this music. Uh, as it was growing up. I mean, I remember the first time I heard Elvis Presley, and he was 
just a guy with a funny name and a, and a lot of great hair. You know, we didn't know what was going on. But um, so we kind of saw it from the beginning and <clears throat> always had a great deal of affection, uh, you know, for this kind of music. So, you know, we weren't terribly surprised when we, uh, you know, we started getting these kinds of invitations. And, and you know, listen, we've surrounded ourselves with, we were smart enough to, to have really, really good people on the, on the tour with us, um, which we do. You know, we have uh, C.J. Banston, who's our keyboard guy and producer, and he's, you know, kind of a, kind of a genius and also a nice guy. So, uh, so we're, we're very lucky in that sense. And we do, you know, we put on a show when the whole band is there. And when it's just the three of us, it's a different kind of show. It's, uh, you know, we're able to do all the characters in whatever order we want to do. And uh, I'll do a lot of songs that people haven't heard yet and stuff from Harry Shearer's repertoire and from Waiting for Guffman and uh, and all that. We're talking to Michael McKean alongside Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer. He's going to be in town for the Unwigged and Unplugged tour, and that is uh, April 19th at the Keller. And you talked about... the Keller. You, and you, uh, from, from, you've talked about that being a music fan uh, just now, and you watch A Mighty Wind, and there's a sense, uh, maybe in the same, um, in the same phylum as, as Spinal Tap, but a different species of film, in the sense that there's a real, I think, affection uh, for the characters that comes off the screen. That it, there's a, a, a warmth for the characters that is, that is very palpable. You know, there's, there's plenty of people who make a living by, by ridiculing and by acting superior. I don't think any of uh, I don't think Spinal Tap was that way really, and I don't think any of Chris's get, uh, Chris Guest's films are that way. Uh, you know, I think ridicule is something for the schoolyard. If you're going to do satire, if you're going to do, you know, if you're going to have fun, I think the 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 affection is is definitely part of it, and definitely job one. And what is very also apparent is that you guys have not only musicians yourselves, but that it does again come from a very uh, a very fan-based place where you guys have Absolutely. obviously never forgotten, as you talked about Elvis, the spark of of music. And was was Elvis the the catalyst for you in terms of being a, a music fan or a rock fan? Was it what was the the, the album that well, kind of took your brain? Yeah, apart? I mean, I was kind of caught. I was only you know seven when he came out, but but uh, you know, I grew up with that stuff, and 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 uh, you know, all through the the Bobby era where everyone seemed to be named Bobby until the Beatles came along and. And, you know, the folk, uh, folk era as well. What happened was when Elvis went into the Army, this happened in the late 50s, people really did, some people really did assume that rock and roll was going to go away because Elvis went away. And, of course, he was only gone for two years. But uh, so they said, well, what's going to be next? Folk music? No. Calypso? No. Uh, how about, you know, kind of uh, this Edie Gourmet thing? <laughs> you know, nobody quite knew what was going to happen. So uh, it was like the same panic that's been gripping everyone every day is, is like, what do we do now? How do we make a profit once everything changes? Uh, there's no need to panic. There will always be popular music. There will, it, it won't always be good. I mean, I'm, today's top ten is not my cup of tea. But uh, there will always be young people, you know, kind of getting hooked on, on, uh, on, on their music. And, uh, you know, it's usually music their parents despise, which I think is very healthy. I uh... um, I do have to say, actually, there's a um, the, the, Philip Norman has written a, a great book about John Lennon, and Lennon talks about sitting there with his ear pressed against the radio, listening to you know the, the signal of far off, far off station from wherever, yeah. and hearing uh, Little Richard singing "Good Golly, Miss Molly," and he has just the most amazing story about hearing that scream that Little Richard yeah. does at a minute and nine seconds in, and he says that. Even though you never wanted to say it out loud and you wouldn't even admit it to yourself, 
you had to sort of acknowledge that Elvis had been replaced by somebody else. And it, it was <laughs> that sense of the taboo and the other and the sense yeah. that also your parents were, were probably going to hate it. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but it happens. I, I think that's one one way that popular music does stay with us is by, uh, you know, this kind of sense of outrage. You can't do that. <clears throat> and that's, you know, this. Uh, I'm not a. Uh, I don't want to get off on a rant here, but, you know, for the the American Idol thing, it, it seems to be looking for ways to homogenize, you know, and to do ways to make these kids. A lot of them have enormous talent to kind of make them into, you know, into nice little robots. And it's the ones who go outside. It's the ones who, you know, if Bruce Springsteen had showed up, uh, you know, at the age of 20-something uh, at the first uh, American Idol auditions, they would have said, go home. You can't do your own material, and you can't play the guitar. You have to do this and this and this. And, you know, youth would have been served by him going home and doing his own thing, which is what he did anyway. Uh, I think that, that, you know, going outside the box – Adding a little outrage, I think it's very healthy, and I I can't wait for the next wave. When you to be and honest. Uh, when you and, and Harry and Christopher are on tour and you're on stage for, when you come to town for this, for example, you're doing as we said earlier, Mighty Wind songs and Spinal Tap songs. Do you you guys ever feel at some point that I mean, do you ever want to just put out a, a straight ahead record? Do you feel like there's a um, a non comedic uh, rock album or a, a work lurking inside you somewhere? I don't know. Uh, my wife and I write songs that are a little, a little on the straighter side, uh, with not necessarily a bunch of jokes. We're writing a musical right now, as a matter of fact, for the stage. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great thing. The, the idea of the song is, is still one of the great inventions. I think the two great inventions of, of mankind are making music and uh, domesticating the dog. I think... Besides that, we haven't done much. It's hard to believe that somebody hasn't combined the two of those into a concept album of some kind. Uh, listen, I, ju I think we just did. Uh, uh, I, I, I want to thank you uh, so much for, for spending a few minutes with us. Before we, I, I have to ask this question, which I know you've been asked a billion times, but as a gibbering fanboy and as a, a, a rock <laughs> true believer, I must ask, is there a definitive answer to the who is Spinal Tap based upon question? No, 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 not really. Uh, but individually, yes. I always thought that David St. Hubbins looked in the mirror and said, gee, I wish my hair was more like Peter Frampton's. Uh, I think that Harry's character, Derek Smalls, wanted to be uh, Lemmy from Motorhead. So it's like individually we have that going for us. The rhythm of the, um, of the name, Spinal Tap, came from status quo or Uriah Heep. It just had that kind of, you know... The, uh, the two or three syllables, uh, four syllables, with you know, uh, with that kind of the, the last, the last one stressed. Um, so there are all kinds of little bitty answers. But and you know, of course, the Stonehenge, uh, the, the little bitty Stonehenge, was based on uh, um, uh, Black Sabbath's "Way Too Big Stonehenge." You know, there are little little bits like that. But there's not one definitive band. In fact, if they were if they were specific, it wouldn't have been generic. And uh, generic is kind of what we what we wanted the band to be. I really have to say that you have put a million little check marks next to a million little questions inside my little brain, sir. So I, I thank <laughs> you for that. To hear it. Michael McKean okay. alongside Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer, the Unwigged and Unplugged tour, April nineteenth at Keller. You can find out more at unwigged.com. Thank you, my friend. Best of continued success, sir. You're welcome.
welcome and thank you. Thank you. There you go. Michael McKeon, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, that's quite something there. Richie, can you uh, pick up the warm line and make sure that everything is uh, is dandy and copacetic? And thank you. All right. Excellent. That was awesome. That, that was, was really wonderful. cool. Yeah. I like God, that. he's such a, like, you can just, he oozes class. You can just hear it and even, like, win his voice. And I'm like, I'm really, really smart. That's what he uh, exudes in, like, the best, in the best uh, most understated way possible, because that's what makes those guys so good, is that they are smart enough to know how to play, you know, that kind of very broad comedy and to do it with, you know, and that he came right out of the gate with the David Brent thing. Mm-hmm. Well done. All right, it's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Spacemen came down to answer some things. The world gathered round from paupers to kings. I'll answer your questions, I'll answer them true. I'll show you the way, you know what to do. Who is wrong and who is right? Yellow, brown, black or white. The spaceman he answered, you no longer mind. I've opened your eyes, you're now colorblind. Racial. So. She's the serpent who guards the gates of hell. Does he go right into Free Love Freeway? Pretty girl on the hood of a Cadillac, yeah. She's broken down on Freeway 9. Take a look at her engine started. Leave a purr and then I roll on by, by, by. Free Love on the Free Love Freeway. The love is free and the freeway is long. We're just listening makes me cringe. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's Rock 101 KUFO. David Brent, ladies and gentlemen. Did you ever see the fully produced music video they did for him covering If You Don't Know Me By Now? No. There's but I know what I'll be watching next commercial break. It's on the, the complete office box set. If you get the DVD set. It's got, uh, at the end, a fully produced music video for David Brent in character covering If You Don't Know Me By Now by, by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, uh, or Simply Red uh, for you 80s kids. And it's terrible. It's like him, and he's in like a flowy, like a linen shirt that's open to his navel, and there's like a gauzy curtain blowing over him, and he's, you know, and he's kind of got that, like, I'm fat with a Van Dyke thing, kind of looking at the camera. And, and I think at one point he does, like, he kisses his, he kisses his fingertips and, like, throws the kiss at the camera. It's just, it's fantastic. Uh, I should read this. Rick, great interview with Michael McKeon. Speaking of music films, I was driving through Beaverton. I saw a Goodwill store and decided to stop in and take a look. I knew something good was in store when a man outside the door uh, who brought his own cart asked me for a cigarette and said, you can't lie to the police, when I told him I didn't have one for him. Anyway, I looked around but couldn't find the elusive item that I knew I needed to buy, so I scanned the DVD rack at this Goodwill as I headed for the door, and there it was, Rick. At the Beaverton Goodwill, perfect condition, not a scratch on it, practically untouched, probably unwatched. A DVD of Bigger Than Jesus. I couldn't believe my luck. Well worth the trip into the city. Tim. That's Tim and Yamhill. Well, thank you, you, you sir. That's one of the nicer Goodwills, and they say their competition is Nordstrom. Really? Yeah. So my... uh, All your blood, sweat, and tears. How long did you work on that movie? Five years. (laughs) That's great. I wish I would have told you how much he bought it for. Uh, I'm guessing it's a worthy cause. Guessing a dollar, or maybe it was you know maybe it was sort of like a take if want uh, sort of thing there. Well, you know what that dollar that he bought you know your <laughs> your movie that you're still my in mag- debt for. <laughs> my magnum opus con- consumed. Uh, See that went that went to help the less fortunate. So you should feel did. good about that. Tens of thousands it's like of you dollars. You donated your own money. Thousands of hours of my life that I will never get back. 
bringing for me a good cause. five years closer to death. That's great. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks to whoever gave that. I mean, look, at least they didn't throw it into a trash bin. Thanks for at least giving it to Goodwill and not just, you Maybe know. I thought they were, like, paying it forward if it was going to be a gift to an unknown person. It, at least it, it's something that you're seen on. <laughs> That's true, I suppose. It wasn't like a music of the heart or whatever the hell that was. The music right. within, right? <laughs> uh, so we ran a little overtime here. I'll just pull back the curtain to reveal that we're, schedule-wise, we're getting a little jammed up because of the Michael McKeon thing, which ran late. So here's the deal, uh, Sarah. We've got Dorothy Carcassari coming up, theoretically, in like two minutes. Uh, also, we got to get the top five today. A few headlines, the Metallica thing. So what say you? So, uh, all right. So we'll get caught up. Here's what is on the immediate horizon. Uh, now I've just got Free Love Freeway stuck in my head. Damn it. Tim Riley will have headlines for you. Dorothy Carcassari from the Inquirer will talk about Britney and her baby. We will have your chance to win a copy of Guitar Hero Metallica and the top five television closing credit theme songs. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. 503-733-2970. In mere moments, headlines with Tim Riley. Still to come today's top five. Top five television closing credit theme songs. Uh, and we will also uh, give you your chance to win a copy of Guitar Hero Metallica today. Spot the fake metal lyrics, Gothic edition. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir or madam, as the case may be. Hey, I was calling about that, uh, you guys are talking about butter earlier, if it's spoiled. Yes, sir. It does, it goes rancid. Now, when you say rancid, is that just like when milk goes bad? Is it just that the milk curdles or something? Uh, it's similar. It really stinks. Uh, from what I understand, because uh, I got interested too, found out on Wikipedia actually, uh, people can use it as a laxative. Rancid butter? Yeah. You know, they have like regular laxatives you could buy that don't, that I was going to say taste like ass, oh, but you God. know what I mean. That yeah, that aren't terrible. Um, well, that is interesting. So it means that then the thing that, I would see sitting out at room temperature for weeks, and it was probably then margarine, not actual butter. Because I can't imagine my mom would just be feeding me rancid butter. I mean, I don't really know. Who knows what lurks in the black heart of my mom? But, I mean, you know, it stands to reason. Margarine's mostly preservatives anyway. That's true. I think margarine is just made out of, like, oil and, I don't know, sweat socks or something. All right, excellent. Thank you for the clarification, sir. Yes, thank right. you. There you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, your personal savior, Tim Riley. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. So a lot of times kids play with matches, or perhaps gasoline, but very seldom they, they put them together unless you're a kid in Vancouver, where a kid playing with matches and gasoline set the family house on fire, causing $10,000, uh, burned his leg, and now he's being sent to the juvenile fire center that teaches stupid kids not to do that stuff anymore. So apparently there's such a big demand for this. Does it say how old he is in this article? It does not. All right, because... I would say if you're over the age of, I don't know, like five, if you have to be taught not to be setting things on fire, it's too late for you. Mm -hmm. And I would say that uh, you ought to be putting that kid in a cage and don't ever let him out. Well, apparently there's such a rash of this that they have this juvenile fire center to teach kids not to do this. Really? Can't we instead just have a juvenile island where we send them and then they don't ever come back? And uh, then they grow up to be sex offenders. Well, they that we're not saying that this no, kid will become a sex say offender. No, no. But, I'm saying generally, speaking but, in Vancouver. Well, you know, Tim, uh, setting fires is part of what they call the serial killer triangle. The other two uh, aspects of that being uh, cruelty to small animals and bedwetting beyond the age of nine. Why do I know this? 
I don't know the answer to that. But but again, the idea that you're just – we all – look, everybody finds fire kind of interesting, cause it, which I think is sort of like an instinctive evolutionary thing. that You're fascinated by it in the same way you're kind of afraid of it. But we all knew the kid that had, I would say, an overweening interest in flame. And that kid uh, grows up to set fires to things like, oh, I don't know, people. And they all end up like Donald Sutherland in backdraft. What do you do? I burn things. I burn it all. So, yeah, put that kid in a small hole and don't let him out. It's like the kid that likes to jump trains. He'll end up with both legs amputated. A big blob in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Wow. Well, that's what I remember from my childhood. It's a anyway. bit of a dark... Well, you know, you're not too far off, actually, because Lara's dad, my father-in-law's in a chair because he had the, the polio. Mm-hmm. And that's different. Yeah, it is. But when he was a kid, you know, he had his legs went, uh, you know, he couldn't walk anymore. He was it became uh, paralyzed. Um, so he was in a hospital for kids, you know, for, for paraplegic kids. But he said like 85 percent of the kids in there, like 15 percent were in for polio. And that was considered, uh, you know, an honorable way to be a paraplegic. Like 85 percent of the kids trying to jump onto a train. Hey, oh, I ain't got no legs, me. Uh, you know, and that's well, what's in the gene pool that causes that. I, Why must people jump on trains? I would say this. It's um, I mean, it's bad enough having to wait for the max. Never mind jumping on a train. Well, look, if you're going to jump onto a train, it's fine as long as you jump on to the train. They wouldn't really do that. They'd sort of jump uh, on to the rails and underneath the wheels of the train. And that's where it that's all sort of goes right. So whatever it is, it's in the gym, gene pool. I'm glad that it's there and I wish for it to remain because they need to be there like as a warning to the others. Here's Tim Riley. So all these reporters decided that they're going to gang up on Obama last night during his press conference. Didn't happen. They took a beatdown, including the guy from NBC who wanted to pin him down on why he didn't do anything about AIG quicker. It took us a couple of days because I like to know what I'm talking about before I speak. Yeah, in your face, jackass. All right, wonderful. Then there's Gloria Allred, who's praising the Octomom for weeks and weeks. All of a sudden, things change. She went on the TV today to say all this woman wants is attention, like... I don't want any attention. How can she succeed if she is subjecting her babies to potential risk, if she doesn't even come into the nursery to feed her own babies, to hold them, to bathe them, to change them, to love them, to bond with them, except when the cameras are rolling? It's out to the next worthy cause. Seriously. Somebody get her a jar of flies, won't you please? The Rick Emerson Show continues next with the top five, the top five television closing credit theme songs. For the end of the show today, your chance to win a copy of Guitar Hero Metallica. Stay there. So he paid four ninety nine for my book. Four ninety nine. Well, that's a, that's more than Better I thought. Better than ninety nine cents. Seriously, I figured it was like a buck. Well, it's Beaverton. It's more of an upper class. It's not one of your downscale goodwill. <laughs> it's not the Deseret Industries or nothing. It's nice. They scrub everything they bring in there. Well, you know, I was just actually, uh, so they hosed off my movie. Where they more stuck than likely, it on the that's why it's $4.99. Um, you know, if just 50,000 more people would pay $4.99 for that movie, uh, I might be out of debt. I'll wait I'm on I'm afraid that the happen. business doesn't work that way. No, no, it doesn't, Tim. Uh, I will say, actually, as we get ready to roll today's top five, in a way, it's sort of a Zen kind of a thing, sort of a Buddhist. It is the whole human experience in a nutshell. Uh, that you work and you labor and you sweat and you agonize and you grind and you push forward. And then your entire existence and years and years of your life is just uh, on a piece of plastic sitting at a Goodwill for $4. Or you can get paid $150 to use your car. Or that, Tim. <laughs> not you, your car. Not me. Never me. Your car is good enough, just not you. But you know what? Eventually, they're just going to use Ryan Seacrest's car anyway. Who are we fooling? Oh, Here's your top five. five. Counting is the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. 
Jesus counting his ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? Here's Tim Riley with today's top five. And while opening theme songs may hug the glory, those often obsessed creations known as closing themes songs certainly play <laughs> their part in cementing a series in our minds. Don't believe us? Whatever I just said, then take an audio gander at these, the top five closing TV theme songs of all time. <laughs> well done, Tim. It just wasn't meant to be read. No, this list, <laughs> but that's why we have to or do it. Or said, said or read. This list has just defied all attempts at execution, which is why we will play through it until it's done. <laughs> With honorable mention, handbags and glad rags. This is, uh, of course, the theme from the British office. There was a time when you would say that the British office was superior to the American version, and I'd say now you're at the point where they're just two different series, both great. Mm -hmm. First series, season in America, not all that great. They were they had to find their own voice. It wasn't working for them just to Xerox the scripts from the old show, but... Honestly, I wish I could see the British version of The Office for, for the first time. When's the last time you watched it? Probably two years ago. Then you could probably see it again now. It's on oh, BBC America. I'm totally nervous to watch it because it's so uncomfortable. The great thing about this song, and this is uh, Michael McKean made this point we were talking about earlier, is that it does have kind of that poignancy, you know, the, the little bit of the tinge of the melancholy, which is what separates this office and, you know, and I guess, to be fair, the American office from what separates from other sitcoms. You know, is that the, there is a certain humanity to it that they don't really they don't have to work at it it's just there excellent top uh to top five closing tv theme songs of all time tim riley number five frazier oh there we go hey baby i hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs so mercy why this? Because it's just so weird and it has weird. nothing to do. I mean, this is, by the way, is Kelsey Grammer singing. So it's on the list just because of the, the sheer, like, surrealism of it. Like, why is this the closing theme to Frasier? It doesn't even make any sense. I mean, is that a reference to something in the show that I'm not getting? Tossed it's not salads like and scrambled eggs. It's not like I'm the biggest Frasier fan ever, but I mean, I've seen the show several times, obviously, and you know, over the years you'd see it on syndication, and I have no idea why this is the closing theme to Frasier. And so that alone kind of puts it on the list, just because it, it seems to come from nowhere. These are the uh, top five closing TV theme songs of all time. Tim Riley, what might the next one be? It'll be number four, and it's Saturday Night Live. I'm sorry, I was waiting. I was, I was desperately hoping that you would take longer so I could it's find that. It's Saturday oh, Night Live. Thanks. thanks so much. <laughs> this is the best version of the song I could find, which is clearly from like a warbly VHS tape somewhere in my collection. This is such a great theme and you know what I don't care who you are what generation you hear this and you immediately you know, what it is. you know what it is and you get the picture in your mind it's New York at night yes yes it is and I think this is written by G.E. Smith who was Gilda Radner's husband at one point by the way and it just it, it you're right has such a great New York vibe and probably not just because it's from this show it's just there's something intangible in the notes and the way that it's done it's neon lights and yellow cabs yeah Rain slick streets coated in dreams, Tim. I think it's called uh, I think it's called Waltz in A or something like that. But it's just it is the SNL closing theme song. A lot of these have a kind of a melancholy tinge in them, but that's just a beautiful song. These are the top five closing TV theme songs. Don't go quite yet of all time, Tim. 
Number three. Thanks. The Mickey Mouse Club. So this is the alma mater, the song that closed it out. So again, it's like, why is it T-Rolls in the Why? Because we love you. Why always the buzzkill? This seems like a rather downbeat ending to the show. Right here, they're showing a net right here. I mean, it seemed like it's sort of a... Sounds like a dirge. <laughs> Seriously, it's like a funeral version. This is like when they're carrying Mickey's corpse out into the uh, into the crowd, Gandhi style. Oh, Jesus. Everybody's throwing flowers at their mouse leader. Farewell, departed mouse. It seems awful long. See, that, but see, does it, it seems unduly sad. It's creepy. It does sound like a funeral march. Ha-ha, I'm dead! Again in three days. <laughs> Why? Because we like you. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, this is that's messed up. To our little Eskimo. All right, Tim Riley, number two. The Jeffersons. This is all Paddock, by the way. He totally suggested this one. I'd forgotten about the closing theme to the Jeffersons because it's so easy to get uh, latch onto that moving on up to the east side, that opening number. First of all, greatest TV theme music of all time, period. Front and back, this show. And this is doing that great uh, helicopter shot of uh, Manhattan. God, what a great song. You know, the, the, the TV uh, theme song is just a thing of the past, too. You just don't get it, especially closing credits. Those bastards at TV land. Man, they get half a second into the closing credits, and it shrinks down to that tiny, unreadable thing at the bottom. The and then it starts playing the next show, like, immediately after. And, the, yeah, the, the guy's doing the jackass voiceover on top of the song, which I, you know, which you'd want to be hearing. And you're missing a great period piece. Yeah. There's something contemporary, which is stupid. Very, the same thing with All in the Family, by the way. These are the top five closing TV theme songs of all time. And number one is number one for a reason, but it's also close to our heart. Tim Riley? WKRP in Cincinnati. A song to which there are no actual lyrics. It's just gibberish. Seriously, if I'm ever in a band that's like playing like... somewhere, we're going to end with that. Wait I mean... for it. There we go. Excellent. That's How many hours it. of your life have you spent trying to, like, before you knew that it was gibberish? Hundreds. <laughs> hundreds. Hundreds. And I always thought it started with... Tim? Yes. And I always thought he said bartender in the first line. That, that, bartender. That was the only line that I ever thought I had a shot at deciphering. There are, in fact, no lyrics. So there you go. No, and I'm calling dibs on that right now. If I'm ever, like, rocking the house in, like, a, a band of some kind, that's going to be our closing song. That's going to be our final encore. That made the whole morning worthwhile. Yeah. I'm glad I woke up today. Tim, this is the station that picks you up and makes you feel good in the morning. I think we can all agree on that. Wow, post-hitter. <laughs> Postmaster General. I have been in this business all this year. It's the Rick Emerson Show, rocking on 1K UFO.
It is absolutely true. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your opportunity to weigh in on Spot the Fake Metal Lyrics. You're shot at a copy of Guitar Hero Metallica in stores March 29th. Be caller 10 right now. Caller 10 at 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970 for your shot at a, a copy of Guitar Hero Metallica, the most intense guitar hero ever, ever, ever. Tim Riley, uh, what were today's biggest news stories? Well, Gloria Allred is all done with the Octomom. Portland police cracking down on drug dealers at 4th and Washington. Move elsewhere. And a Washington state man pays for a Portland parking ticket with a bag full of urine-soaked change. That's fantastic. This is the uh, period in the show when I look down at the phones and I uh, wait for them to uh, go from 1 to 2 to 3 to 4 to 5 to 6 to 7, 8 to 9 to 10. Urine-soaked change, you say? Urine soaked change. That's kind of awesome that he did that. Soaked, you say. Say soaked in urine. Marinated yeah. in urine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spritzed, one yes. might say. Yes. Like a gentle, uh, like a gentle sprinkling, almost. There are other things going on. Kind of like a dipping sauce in a way. Two thousand extras are needed for a Harrison no. Ford, Brandon Fraser film next month. And it's not like a, it's like a dipping sauce. It's something you really ought to see your urologist about. I. All right, uh, Richie. Which line am I picking up here? All right. So I'll tell you what. All right. So we'll do it on. Okay. Fantastic. All right. We'll do it on the other side then. So Richie is endeavoring to uh, to find Caller 10 for us. All right. Around the corner, your shot at Guitar Hero Metallica. Lucky Caller 10, whoever you are. The Rick Emerson Show continues straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. We now enter the saddest part of the... Rather dark. (laughs) Sounds weird. Saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. It's time to play Spot the Fake Metal Lyrics for your shot at a copy of Guitar Hero Metallica. Hello, Caller 10. Who might this be? This is Jeremy. Hello, Jeremy. How are you today? Good. All right. Uh, here's how we play the game. I will perform for you two sets of metal lyrics. One is from a real song. The other, I created my own self. Uh, after I perform both sets, you got to tell me which set is fake. If you do that correctly, you'll win a copy of Guitar Hero Metallica. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. All right. So I'm going to do these in no particular order. Here comes a set of lyrics, the first. Gothic edition. Brothers of Metal. Sorry. Wow, you sound ridiculous. (laughs) Brothers of Metal, fighting with power and steel. Fighting for metal, fighting for metal that's real. Brothers of Metal will always be there, standing together with hands. In the air. All right. That's uh, song number one. Here goes song number two. Riding hard backs to the sun. Hell. Seeking our power, our glory, the birthright of our land. The land of kings, it is our time. Follow me on a winged steed. All right. There we go. That's a set of lyrics, the second, sir. All right. One of those is a real song, improbably enough. The other one I just uh, created. Which set of lyrics is the uh, is the fake set, sir? Uh, the second. Yeah, I tipped it with winged steed. Here's a little thing. That was an ad lib. <laughs> that wasn't part of the actual lyrics. You just ad libbed your lyrics? Sarah, I uh, I play a little fast and loose over here sometimes. I threw in winged steed. It Obviously, sounded like the real thing. Because we... Well, Tim, that's the skill of Rick that Emerson. Seems to be working well for you. The other song is the Man of War classic, Brothers of Metal, uh, which also has the phrase, "Let us drink to the power, 
thunder and metal are shaking the sound. Drink that sound down to the ground. Uh, That's how I like it. Yeah. All right. Congratulations, my friend. You have won a copy of Metallica Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero Metallica is the most intense guitar hero yet. You take on the most blistering track list ever assembled. Uh, Pre-order your copy before March 29th at GuitarHero.com. But you don't need to do that because you won it, sir. Congratulations. And you the part. What about the cleaning wipes? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 my friend, it also comes with a canister of eco-friendly gaming wipes. The only antibacterial designed for your gaming gear. Hey, it'll clean your hands and your handheld electronics. And I think you know what I mean. Nice. All right. There you go. Congratulations. There you go. Thank you so much. All right. And we're done. Uh, we want to thank CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum as well as Jim Roop. We want to thank Michael McKeon uh, for joining us today on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. They'll be in town April 19th at the Keller. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com, from Queensryche, Jeff Tate, from the Willamette Week, Kelly Clark, and from the San Diego Zoo, Joan Embry. The Rick Emerson Show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for Rock 101 KUFO. In the newsroom, Tim Riley. On the phones, Richie Bristol. The gatekeeper of Dave is Dave Zinn, the webmistress is Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Don't F With Me Reynolds, executive producer, Christopher J. Paddock. Coming up next, Buzz with Smells Like the 90s on most of these... I was trying to do the full-on sitcom ending on most of these CBS stations. That's a choke right there. All right, thanks for listening. Be safe. See you all tomorrow. That is The Frequency, Kenneth. Bye. white person.